Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and if I wanted to experience a story of three individuals with abilities who are inextricably tied together by forces beyond their control, I'd just listen to the Filmcast. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. a bunch Hardawar. of Marvels. That's <laughs> true. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. My Marvels in Filmcast fanfic is going to be a doozy, folks. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. My name is Jeff Kanata, and I am not a cat person. <laughs> Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing The Marvels, the latest MCU film. Uh, Jesse Earl is going to be joining us for that conversation. It's going to be a great one. And I do want to point out that if you are a patron of any tier at patreon.com slash film podcast, you are able to get that review early. Uh, we don't always do our reviews early for patrons, but whenever we can, whenever it's a big movie, we make an effort and uh, we are hugely thankful to our patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast for making this podcast possible. You can always go to patreon.com slash film podcast, sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks and find more episodes of the show at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com and find us across all platforms, including Instagram and threads at the filmcast pod. Today on the podcast, we got uh, a bunch of film news that has actually occurred this week that we want to discuss, uh, and then followed by some what we've been watching before we get to our review of the Marvels. But before we get to any of that, uh, we got to do a bunch of corrections. And this week, it's all me, Jeff Kanata. You know, usually what a refreshing we, wow. twist of things. <laughs> usually, uh, I, I give Jeff a hard time for making factual errors on the podcast. This week, it's all me. It's all me. How does Devendra always seem to skate scot free? Out of indeed, indeed. Um, I, don't get I don't get that. It's called being good, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we got a bunch of uh, emails correcting statements that I have made over the course of the last couple weeks. Uh, and so, thank you to everyone for writing in to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, so to start with, I want to say, uh, I talked about the movie reptile on Netflix recently. I enjoyed it. Most people did not. Uh, and I, I identified the star of that movie as Benicio del Toro. In fact, it is pronounced Benicio del Toro. Benicio That's a good, del I, Toro I never realized that is the pronunciation. Okay. Yeah. I've been pronouncing it Benicio my whole life. It's been it like over 20 years. Yeah. Yes, Benicio. Um, okay. Yes. I, I'd always done Benicio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you yeah, go. Good for you, um, Jeff. Yeah, good Thanks. It's called rub, being good, David. Rub, yeah, yeah, yeah. rub the salt in the wound. Um, it's like Maceo Parker. Yeah. L last week, uh, I recommended a, uh, a movie from Joe from Vancouver, writing into slash from catchgmail.com called The Teacher's Lounge, which apparently is a great paranoid thriller that's kind of in the same vein as Anatomy of a Fall, a film that we also reviewed recently. And I said that you can find The Teacher's Lounge streaming on Mubi. That is incorrect. And somebody who is working on the distribution of that movie actually commented in the Slack film cast and said, hey, that movie is not going to be out in theaters uh, until it's uh, 2024. So the teacher's lounge, not something available in streaming mm -hmm. in the U.S. right now at all. Seems like their um, problem, not ours. So Indeed. Well, the teacher's... <laughs> Get it, that well, movie it, out, guys. The thing that got me confused is it has a page yes, on movie.com, yes. but it I is not that. streaming. Mm -hmm. uh, they've done is, that a number of times movie mm -hmm. will put up a page very early for a mm -hmm. movie that is not yet available <laughs> they're eagerly anticipating Gotta claim yeah. the arrival of the teacher's yeah. lounge yeah. Right. Uh, and then the other thing is last week on the podcast I uh, gave a somewhat lukewarm recommendation of the movie Nyad uh, which is streaming right now on Netflix that is a biopic about the life of Diana Nyad 
who attempted to swim the distance between Florida and Cuba. And uh, a couple people pointed out, and actually Defector.com had a great article about this, that um, Diana Nyad has had a history of false claims and fabrications. And there are, in fact, a lot of people that doubt the veracity of the, the uh, attempted swim depicted in the movie. So uh, there is a website called NyadFactCheck.com, I believe is what it's called. If you want to learn more about it, uh, I'm not going to take a side. I'm not saying like who is right, who's wrong. But I did want to let people know that there is a controversy around Diana Nyad's claims to fame. So I uh, wanted to give that asterisk slash caveat. There is uh, no it. controversy about how her name rolls off the tongue. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, always value truth and veracity and verisimilitude and all that stuff on the sli- uh, on the filmcast. Uh, please be sure to email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com or DM me directly or whatever. I'm always happy to make a correction if it's a major issue. All right. There is a ton of film news that has happened this week. Uh, let's begin by mentioning the fact that the SAG after strike has ended after 118 days, uh, which is, it was, a, it was a grueling time for not only actors, but also many people who work in the industry mm-hmm. who weren't striking, but who had uh, their productions impacted, below the line people, caterers, hairstylists, makeup people, and so on. Um, the new contract, uh, the details are not fully out there. Some like summaries have been out there. I think we'll learn the full details in the weeks to come. Uh, but for now, the strike is over, and uh, a lot of the wind seems to be at the backs of the SAG after people. Uh, the they still have to vote on it. To be fair, they still exactly. have to vote. Uh, it's still and weeks away from being ratified. Yes. Yeah, so yes. it's it's, uh, still, but, it's still potential impediment. It's not. You that's know, right. The striking is suspended. The the work. Yeah, correct. The work stoppage is over for now, and and uh, where it's headed, it looks likely that it will be yes. ended until the contract is is signed. So. Uh, or, or that the contract is likely to be approved based on what I'm seeing. Uh, but we'll see how that changes. Um, but I just wanted to just you know give a shout out to that, congratulate all the sag after people on getting a contract, at least the leadership on getting a contract they feel is fair. Jeff Kanata, you're actually in sag after. Do you have any thoughts on this and how it's all gone down? I don't know the details of the agreement yet, and I will be I will be voting on the agreement um, uh, in my role as member, as a person who pays my dues. Yeah. So, uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I certainly hope it's over. I, I hope it is a, a a contract that you know. I it felt like this time uh, the union was not going to capitulate to anything that would be to the detriment of its members long term, and I hope that that is turns out to be the case. Um, so we shall see. I think there's there's a lot of um, there was a lot of desire for it to end, and I'm certainly happy that it seems like this is the this is the end. Uh, it would be, it would be nice to get things back rolling and, uh, you know, no pun intended, actually pun very much intended, but you know what I'm saying? Um, I, yeah, what was I, I hope what? this is a, this is an amicable end that gets people back to work and ensures the, uh, the future of actors. Uh, as you know, a lot of the, sti- a lot of the sticking points were, uh, with regard to, you know, basically not having to use actors in the future. So I uh, certainly hope that's not the case. Yeah. Um, what was a surprising sticking point was the AI stuff. Apparently yeah, it was yeah, like exactly. right down to the wire, um, negotiating the AI. Um, and in particular, I've heard interviews with 
uh, Duncan Crabtree Ireland from SAG, as well as with Fran Drescher. And it was uh, one of the topics was the use of synthetics. So uh, synthetic humans. The idea being that you could create a fake person using mm-hmm. facial features from, you know, yeah. one actor and, you know, ears from another actor and so on. And uh, eyes from one actor and ears from another and so on. And so, like they, so they want to institute Blade Runners. This is why we need Blade Runners to, to stop the <laughs> synthetics, right? That, that's right. The synths. Um, yes. But yeah, the idea is that like uh, putting aside like having a digital creation of an actor. It's like, what if it's a digital creation of a, a person that doesn't exist? Uh, but potentially uses parts borrowed from an actor and so on. Um, and they're trying to like stop against that. Uh, so we'll see how successful they are. We'll see like what the contract details are and, um, and you know, how studios try to get around those agreements. Uh, but certainly it was, you know, between the writers and the actor strikes, uh, I, I will just say that my big takeaway from this, like personally, uh, is, uh, anger at uh, at the studios for like the way they've handled the situation apparently the strikes cost the california economy 6 billion dollars of damage and uh yeah i don't fe- I-, I feel like if you are running the studios part of your job is to keep people happy it it might not be a part of the job that you want to do uh, but it is part of the job and they clearly failed at that and that's why we had this ex- extremely damaging strike um so that's my you know kind of perspective on it i know like not everyone here may share that but whatever the case jeff i share your opinion that uh, i hope this contract is a sufficient one and and gets everyone back to work in a way they're happy with so uh all right so that's one big thing the writer strike the actor strike they're now over hollywood can resume uh its work i did want to mention by the way that related to that i don't know if you guys saw this but uh everything like disney's calendar for 2024 is really pretty bare. Uh, they have moved a bunch of Marvel stuff, uh, stuff off the calendar. There's only going to be one movie coming out in 2024. That's a Marvel film. That's Deadpool 3. Uh, and I just think that's kind of remarkable. You know, yeah, like we yeah. used to have three to four Marvel films coming up per year. Next year, there's and only going to be one. I would say yeah. Deadpool 3 is barely a Marvel film. Right. You know, I, it's- I, I, I'm guessing it's going to have some pretty close tie ins to some of what we've seen recently. Uh, I, I, I think certain people but, are there for a reason. Yeah. 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 But I think that I, I, but I would agree with you, Jeff, that like, I would be surprised if it advances us to, you know, Kang Anything. Dynasty in any significant Anything. way. And by the way, I, I'm going to say like the existence of Kang Dynasty and all that stuff is very much in question at this point. Yeah. Like I, 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 there's a huge possibility uh, Kang Dynasty will never happen or yeah. they're going to recast Jonathan Majors or something else will how, happen. How fitting, but by yeah. the way, for a plot line that is all about like uh, futures changing, right? Like mm-hmm. possible futures changing. Like that Kang possible future evaporated real quick, unfortunately. Yeah, for, for a wide variety of reasons. But yeah, I, I think um, uh, next next year is just going to be, you know, I remember when not this, this year's summer movie wager, but last year's summer movie wager, we had trouble coming up with like 10 movies to put on the chart. Yeah. This summer is going to be the same way. It's going to be real tough to, to fill out the chart, um, which means like where we rank them is going to be really important. But uh, the, the impacts of the strikes, both positives and negative, I think will reverberate for uh, probably at, at least a year or two. Uh, yeah. And one way you can see that is via Disney's calendar for next year. Uh, so anyway, I wanted to, to mention that. So, uh, one other piece of film news that's kind of interesting. 
is we learned this week that there's going to be a live action Zelda movie. Uh, Marvel, uh, sorry, Super Mario Brothers, one of the most successful video game movies of all time. Nintendo probably came to the senses and realized, hey, we can uh, make billions more dollars by making more films. This announcement is, I'm going to say, I, I have never felt more ambivalence at an announcement ever. Other than, hey, Chris Brad is Mario. See you next year, folks. Yeah, yeah. Speculate <laughs> about that for a year. Because yeah. uh, Legend of Zelda it has a very special place in my heart, right? Like, um, I remember playing Legend of Zelda with my dad when I was a kid on the original Nintendo Entertainment System, you know, and like, and how he would like, you know, we we, we would. Uh, this was back in the time when the games came with like maps and stuff, and we would like draw on the maps and make notes and all this stuff, and mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. a very like lovely bonding experience I yeah, had. It was a real adventure. It yeah, feels yeah. like, you know? It sounds it like awesome. your dad doesn't care about resale value. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Um, and so the idea of seeing Legend of Zelda brought to the big screen is very exciting. And then you learn about who's working on it. And it's like, hmm. So uh, the talent, so Avi Arad, who I will just say has had his ups and downs in the industry. I, I have not heard that name in years. That's wow. a name. <laughs> I wow. haven't heard in a very long time. In a long, long time. I mean, he is a producer whose name is attached to movies like Spider-Man Into the mm -hmm. Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse, and is also attached to movies like Venom and Morbius, right? Like... But th that dude was doing it before it was, it was hip to do it. You know he, what I'm saying? He single-handedly helped to make comic book movies and superhero movies a thing into a thing right yeah. like and that that history cannot be denied right? were like it not is, for him we would not be in the comic book future we're in now and it was some true. there were some rough rough uh stones <laughs> along that road oh yes you know? oh yes, but, yes. Uh, and he was responsible for laying some of those stones in the road mm -hmm. but uh you can't you know if if we are as one might guess if we are at the same uh, moment in time, the same inflection point of uh, about to bring video game movies on mass into uh, theaters the way that comic books were just sort of nascent, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It seems oddly appropriate, maybe, that he's the same dude is, is bridging mm -hmm. that awkward mm -hmm. moment of time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an open question, you know. Definitely had uh, some ups and downs, as I said. You know, like he he uh, was critical behind Sam Raimi's Spider Man, which is remains a great movie and like game changing for the industry. You know, yeah. Um, and then he also produced Morbius, which arguably erases all that impact. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, if, <laughs> if 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 we in you know five ten years are seeing uh, video game movies as the the thing and they're right. high quality and they're all you know good and in the same way that superhero movies kind of had that happen we'll look back and be like oh god you remember the uncharted movie and you remember mm -hmm. the this and the that that were like oh the 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 bumpy road on the way to getting good and the, that that first mario movie was like it was good but it wasn't great and you know yeah. i think uh maybe like potential Maybe video game movies will be what Marvel films were three years yeah. ago. You know, maybe like, we yeah. can beat them to death until we hate them all, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the way Hollywood works. That's, yeah, but, yeah, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. Um, the wow. other t talent working on this movie, uh, Derek Connolly, uh, screenwriter behind beloved movies such as Jurassic World Dominion, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, uh, and Monster Trucks. So he is going to be working on the movie. 
Uh, he, didn't he also write Detective Pikachu? It's true. He wrote Detective so Pikachu. So that was a good movie. I thought Jurassic that was a good World, movie. Fallen Kingdom, and also Kong Skull Island. So it's not. Yeah. I, I was I was cheekily listing some of the ones that might be more controversial. But you're yeah. right, Jeff. He he also wrote Jurassic World. You know, like. But suffice to say, I, I have not. Uh, there's. I have liked fewer of Derek Connolly's movies than I have liked. Mm-hmm, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so that is also a concern. And then the director of the movie uh, the, is the guy behind the new Planet of the Apes movie, right? Um, he did all the Maze Runner movies. West yeah, did Ball. all the Maze Runner movies. The the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes movie. Uh, West Ball is the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, new trailer for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes dropped. I have not watched it. Uh, I've seen it. Apparently, that. it's pretty. Devinder, what do you think of the trailer? It looks I pretty good. To- right? I totally forgot that they were going to keep doing these. Like I thought, like after that last one, which felt like honestly the perfect end of a trilogy. Like what else is there to do? Um, so I don't know. It it looks cool. I just don't know. I feel like nobody really paid attention to the to that trilogy, you know, other mm-hmm. than uh, movie people. So I don't know if general audiences. I, I guess they did well enough to, yeah. to warrant yeah, another yeah, one. They, yeah. Like the first one did very well, and then the other ones did only okay. Yeah, even um, as the movies got better. I, I share yeah. your confusion that they're continuing the franchise though, mm-hmm. um, just because. So Rise of the Planet of the Apes came out in 2011. That movie made 480 worldwide. Then there was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That movie made 710 worldwide. Very good. And then War for the Planet of the Apes, the final one, 490 worldwide. So it really was like there was a peak and then went down. And then it was like we thought it was over. Um, and also these movies are very expensive, right? Like they a lot of CG and visual effects. So, uh, but yeah, Devinger, did you have any? So, so, so my reaction is deep ambivalence mm-hmm. um, at the talent associated with this title. And also given what happened with Super Mario Brothers, which was extremely safe i wouldn't say it was a, a bad movie or anything but it wasn't i would not describe the super mario, mario brothers movie as interesting yeah ba- in a, ba- a very basic movie you know the the safest yeah. of movies do we we don't know if this is going to be live action or cg or anything it yet. is live action it's live action, it is live action yeah. so that's the so, most ba- so that, yeah, a lot of this is baffling mm-hmm. the baffling yes, it's yes, baffling right. to me yeah. that they're trying to make this so you come out of this huge hit of super mario brothers right yeah and you go oh my gosh okay we partnered with <laughs> Imation and we were and we were distributed by Universal and we made this animated movie that was a huge hit. What are our what are our learnings? What should we take into the next project? Okay, we're gonna do live action. Mm-hmm. We're gonna partner with Sony. <laughs> right. And AKA like, their mortal enemy. Right? Literally like, nothing is the same. It's like <laughs> we, we're gonna do we're gonna repeat that success with a completely new people in I a know, completely right? new format. It's you like gotta challenge what? yourself, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, that, that it, it was bizarre to be t- like, why not mm-hmm. do an animated film that also you know, like, but hey, I, I'm gl- I'm glad that they're doing something different. I right? would like, I would rather see a live action Zelda than, than no a way. badly done CG Zelda is the thing. Like well, because we don't we don't get done. enough yeah. we don't get enough really good live action fantasy is the thing like uh, even like post Lord of the rings like the, there was like a thing there there are a few amazon shows at this point but i feel like there's still room to do really cool stuff there and also uh i don't know it'll be fun to, fa- to fan cast this and see who should be like wow. oh my god i feel like it should be jacob tremblay who's just like owned everything he's been in including his five minutes of dr sleep you know i i have a friend who posted on social media that uh uh, I can't decide what I want more: uh, nuclear annihilation or another post about who should play Link. Here we go. Um, yeah, we're gonna pause for a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with more conversation about the subject right after this. It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Uncommon Goods. If you want to hear, hey, where did you get that this holiday season? Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. 
Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. I have found such cool, unique gifts at Uncommon Goods, like the 12 Days of Hot Sauce Advent Calendar, where you get a new hot sauce every day for 12 days. That's awesome. What about the Power Up Your Paper Airplane Kit that lets you turn any paper airplane into an app-controlled, phone-controlled, motorized flying machine? Found a really cool one for my kids, the Musical Chain Reaction Construction Set. Let's them build stuff that create, creates music. It's like a Rube Goldberg machine for beautiful melodies. There is so much stuff to discover at Uncommon Goods. And when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are made in small batches. So shop now before they sell out this holiday season. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S., and they have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not just the same lackluster gifts you could find just anywhere. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back a dollar to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, Go to uncommongoods.com slash filmcast. That's uncommongoods.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. All right. Um, so, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think it was the wise move to not entrust the studio behind the Minions film with Legend of Zelda as yeah, as, yeah. Uh, as the part. I suppose. I don't disagree with that, right? I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I didn't fall in love with the Mario movie either. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I do think. Uh, I I think that if you you know if you think about it for even half a second, uh, it's very it is <laughs> very it's weird. problematic to make a live action Zelda movie. I've said mm -hmm. this on a number of other podcasts. So <laughs> mm -hmm. Forgive me, folks, if you listen to my other shows and you you're hearing me repeat myself, but. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of extremely high quality cosplay of Link. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it always looks ridiculous, right? <laughs> the idea of putting, like, you can make the most authentic looking thing, but a guy with a, a, a green hat slouched back on the back of his head with blonde puffs of hair coming out of the front. Mm -hmm, cannot mm -hmm. look good in a movie. I, I'm sorry. There's just no it, way to it make it It depends on how you do it. But actually, I'm thinking my, my like dream of doing this, it should be 2D animated. It should be like a Studio Ghibli, you know, co cooperative, you know, uh, that would uh, be thing awesome. done in the style of Nausicaa. Valley I would love like, that. That would be the way to do it because I think Zelda itself was influenced by a lot of early Ghibli. I think that they've, they've established a level of difficulty for themselves going live action that is going to be 
mm-hmm. really tough to pull off. And and it, there's a lot of questions, right? What kind of Zelda movie is this? What I mean, obviously the games we all beginning know. of a trilogy, Jeff. Come on, well, three, know, three pieces the, of the Triforce, yeah, sure, right there, right but, there. For but us. the games have always taken place in wildly different mm-hmm. styles and settings. And so you you wonder, you know, mm-hmm. is it going to be more like the more current, you know, Tears of the Kingdom, Breath of the Wild, yeah. Zelda? Is it a which multiverse case, I really hear, to, Jeff? What? Is that a multiverse I hear? I feel like you were just saying the M word, you know? No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. saying you make a movie and you got to make a choice as to which version of Zelda you're going to make. And if you're making the most recent versions, then you don't have to worry about him in a green jumpsuit, you know, with a hat. Because he, you know, in the latest games, he has all kinds of different outfits. And maybe that's a smarter way to go. But then are people who are like, oh yeah, I want to go see a Zelda. I mean, what they did with Mario was the most mm-hmm. nostalgic idea behind Mario you can imagine, right? It's all the stuff you expect to see. And if that's what you're expecting to see, then it's not like the most recent Marios. It's more like a traditional, you know, Link to the Past, Legend of Zelda, you know, OG style. And, and so there's a lot of decisions to be made there and what this, what story you're going to tell and how are you going to make that in live action work because link and zelda are you know elves everybody else they encounter in that world is not a human being mm-hmm. you know they're all like anthropomorphized animals and goofy looking weirdo creatures you got some humans cg in the newer ones yeah you know? so i don't know I, I think i think i'm highly skeptical that a live action version is going to work i'm rooting for it to work i want it to work but i think Man, the easy home run is like you're saying, like a 2D animated version or even a 3D animated version that looks a little 2D, that has a kind of the look mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom. So I, I'm, you know, I, I think this is going to be hard. If you read what Sigeru Miyamoto has said, he's like, we're taking our time. We want to get this right. We know it's a high bar. So, you know, maybe they'll figure out a way to make it work. But um, I, I'm skeptical. I just, I want, like, listen, Willow was not a great movie, but when I was a kid, like, the possibilities of Willow were mm. always so fascinating and intoxicating for me. So, fantasy stuff, live action fantasy that is not just for kids, but I think whimsical and fun, like, there, there is something there. We just really have not played in that space very much re- lately, I guess. I agree with you, Jeff, that the level of difficulty is really high on this, right? Like, to, to get it right, I think is going to be really high. And nothing about the team that they announced mm-hmm, tells mm-hmm. me that like they're gonna be able to nail it. But you know, you never know. Like uh, Craig Mason made you know the Hangover movies before he made Chernobyl, and so like you can, you can never predict like what someone's next work is gonna be. Um, yeah. And maybe they have a great idea. All that said, feels like twenty twenty five earliest before. Oh yeah. Oh, I think it's happen, farther right? out than that. Yeah. Twenty twenty six. I do, do want to shout out. Uh, will we see Andy Serkis as mocap Gannon? what's gonna happen that would be fun sounds like a Mm no-brainer yeah but anyway uh interesting news interesting news and for all the reasons that you identified jeff which is like a a lot of non-obvious decisions were made (laughs) let's put it that way yeah um so whether or not they pay off remains to be seen okay uh we are recording this at some point on monday november 13th and uh earlier today we learned that uh, James Cameron is re-releasing The Abyss, a remastered 4K version of it, in theaters on December 6th. And apparently it's going to have some material that has never been seen before. Amazing. I am... Okay. A third ending. I am beside <laughs> myself with this news. I have been waiting for an Abyss 4K for years. 
Uh, and <laughs> I, I, I put, posted a thread about this and uh, on threads, and somebody was saying how, like, oh, finally, all my years of not seeing the, the Abyss have finally paid off, basically. Like, I can now watch it in the form in which it's intended in theaters on December 6th. Uh, so I am very excited about this. We learned a little bit more detail. Apparently, it's going to be one night only, so it's unclear whether the three of us will be able to go watch it um, during that night. But it Devindra, seems like a... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, unfortunate decision. Like w- one night, really? That's all we can afford here. Come on, guys. Yeah, I don't weird. know. It, maybe it's like a fathom event or something like that. You know, oh, like, surely will be. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I agree. It would be nice if it got like a legit theatrical release. Um, Jeff, I think you've we've all seen the Abyss. Jeff, I think mm-hmm. you don't have as like fond feelings towards it as me or Dimitra, what? Oh my or, god, okay. I love no, I that forget. movie. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. Sorry, oh, I, I misremembered. Cherished. Them. I misremembered them. Yes. Nice. I, nice. It is one of my favorites. Yes. It, it was like a defining experience because it was one of the first Blu-rays I ever bought, and it, it took like full advantage of the Blu-ray. Or, I'm sorry, um, DVDs is what I meant to say. The Blu-ray doesn't exist. Uh, it was one of the first DVDs I ever bought, and it it had like all these special features, and I was like, oh my, this is incredible, you know. And also, the movie was uh, really impressive as well, and there was alternate versions and stuff like that. So, um. But yeah, I, I think it's a it's a great film. Yeah, it has, it has its flaws, you know, but uh, not many. It, it, it's so impressive looking because he did a lot of that stuff for real. You know, he went down and did a lot of that stuff for real, and I think that stuff holds up. So I'm really looking forward to this movie coming out again. Um, but yeah, Devendra, any other thoughts before we move on? I mean, it's uh, I remember seeing this movie. Maybe it was maybe five years ago at this point, and there is a ratty 35 millimeter print. That yeah. was being played at the Nighthawk, and it looked like trash. It was just like so messed up, but the movie still sang. So I cannot wait to see this in like great quality. I hope we get a longer theatrical run because I did do Titanic 3D, and that was like one weekend, I think. It wasn't very long. So that and yeah, the 4K Blue will be fantastic. I cannot wait for that. I am really excited about, yeah, finally being able to own this on home video. Uh, that's going to be great. So Abyss fans, it's yeah, not like sorry. all the. December, you know, everything I moved out of December, like we got, they got room, put it, put it in theaters for a longer run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People don't like old movies for some reason. I don't know. I, I literally, I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm like, I literally don't know why they don't do that more often because I do think they can be successful, but um, usually not as successful as new movies, you know, like, well, I think it tends to be the case that people don't like new movies because you can watch them in other ways. Yeah. And I you know, movies, maybe, you mean, yeah. What? You said people don't like new movies, but you. Oh, pardon you, me. You mean, yeah, 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 older movies, and and it's it uh, you know b- perhaps lean into the fact that you can't watch this movie this way any. Yeah, other, you know, exactly right. That's you can't easily stream or buy this movie. So, yeah, yeah. There is one other thing I wanted to mention, um, but I, I don't want to have a full conversation about it right now because I think the story is not over yet. Um, last week we learned that. Warner Brothers was permanently shelving a new movie called Coyote versus Acme. That was kind of a mixed live action animated film that takes place in the Roadrunner universe. That starring John Cena. Starring John Cena. Apparently, the movie's already completed. Yes, scored. Good good test scores. Everything. And so people were saying, if you cannot make. So Warner Brothers chose to write off, take a $30 million write down on it rather than. Uh, release it theatrically or let release anyone it on Max see it. Or, or release it or sell it. <laughs> to let anyone see it at all. And the people who have seen it, the thing that's so yes. frustrating is the people who have seen it are think it is genuinely fantastic. Yes, correct. 
Correct. Uh, and so a, a lot of people, you know, the statement that I've seen quoted a lot is, if you can't make money with a movie that is well-reviewed, that's funny, that people love, mm-hmm. what are you doing in the movie business? Right? Like, what, is, what, <laughs> yeah. is, what are we doing? What is it you'd say you do around here, David Zasloff? Um, but the reason the story's not over is because news broke today that they are apparently open to shopping it around. Uh, and there might be somebody <laughs> else. Like, Amazing. Like a Amazing. mascot for a company being put out <laughs> by a different company. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, right. Because Looney Tunes and all that stuff is, <laughs> yes, you know. WB, it's like the, as Warner Brothers as it gets, you know? Yeah, but Jeff, you have to admit that having a fully completed movie spurned by the company that made you and originated you as a character is a totally <laughs> wily coyote thing to have. Uh, hey, uh, like, on, on that is, yeah. Maybe it's yeah. just a brilliant marketing scheme. <laughs> I could totally I was, see guys an Apple or a Netflix uh, looking at this being like, yeah, you know, totally. Take it. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? Hey, got any other mascots for sale? Can yeah, I buy right? pieces of your studio? Yeah, can we co-opt this can thing? We, can we just, and like slowly but surely. years putting value into <laughs> Slowly but surely, they swallow all of Warner Brothers. And you yeah. know what? Maybe it needs, maybe something else needs to happen with Warner Brothers, you know? I, I mean, the, I, I think Warner, like Max, mm-hmm, Warner Brothers, like mm-hmm. all the entertainment stuff, I predict it will be sold within five years. Like, yes, I think, yeah, I don't again. think there's any way. Again, that again. Yeah. Yeah. Again, exactly, yeah. yeah. So anyway, the, uh, yeah, the yeah, most galling thing about this was they literally... <laughs> They, they make this announcement that this, you know, Wiley e. Coyote live action <laughs> slash animated sort of a, a Who Framed Roger Rabbit style film is being shelved. And then literally the next day they announced there's a project in development for Bugs Bunny live action mixed Who Framed <laughs> Roger Rabbit style movie with just ramping up development. It's like, what? You couldn't make this one worthwhile and profitable, but okay, let's just put, let's make one with Bugs Bunny and it'll be fine. I think Crazy. there's like a lot of different decisions, like business decisions that go into s- something like this. Like one of the facts is um, the, this Coyote versus Acme movie was greenlit under the old regime, right? So yeah. generally when there's a new regime at a studio, they're mm-hmm. like anything that's from the old regime, they try to not put too much effort into makes sense and because yeah. it's like yeah if it, it, it it's a no win situation according to the logic of hollywood where like mm-hmm. if it succeeds then it shows how much better the old regime was and you know if it fails it's like oh you couldn't make this succeed you know like so anyway uh th- i think that's part of it i think the fact that max or i'm sorry warner brothers uh discovery has a 45 billion dollar debt load is part of it um i think there's like a lot of like complex things that we're not seeing uh, that would result in a decision like this. But what is sad uh, is people posting like a lot of behind the scenes footage. I don't know if you guys saw this, like oh, yeah. people posting the crew reel, somebody, yep, the, yep. the composer for the movie posting like the music from the movie. It's a and, brilliant song. That's like meep, meep, yeah. meep. It's so, it's so it's rad. So good. And it's people like, it's, seem to be genuinely proud of their work in this regard. Like the, I know. The director right. was proud of it. Everybody was super excited about this movie. They felt like they'd made something good. And it's just a situation where apparently in Hollywood, all that can be vaporized because of an accounting decision, which is just really nuts. And by the way, this didn't used to happen. Yeah, that's you, that's the key point is that it's yeah. a, this is a totally new development. In, in the <laughs> olden days, people would know like you never just kill a movie like that because the damage to the talent is so profound, right? Like it damages your relationship to talent so profoundly that it's like it's not worth it. like there's an understanding hey we take some losses along with the wins um that that mentality seems to be going away you know and 
but but it seems like they heard the backlash to this one, Jeff. So like they yeah. they are allowing it to be sold. So I I am optimistic that we will see Coyote versus Acme uh, come to light one day. So, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, the, that this kind of movie movie uh, delights me. I love I love the Who Framed Roger Rabbits of the world. I love the like mixing different mediums. I, I enjoy, you know, even Sonic the Hedgehog was it's fun. I, I love that kind of uh, attempt at world building, you know, and I just think I would really enjoy this movie and it made me, it broke my heart reading about it. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I think uh, I'm optimistic about where it's going to head. So anyway, that's Coyote versus Acme. And that is a lot of the film news that's been going on this week. So folks, let's get to what we've been watching. All right, uh, just a few things to mention before we get to our review today. I want to mention that I watched a Netflix documentary called Sly. Uh, have you guys seen this pop up on your Netflix home screens? Yeah, I almost watched it. My wife was like, nah, we're not watching that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like this. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I want to start by saying it is not exhaustive at all. It's actually shocking the amount of information left out of this documentary <laughs> like the amount of stuff left un uncovered or undiscussed in the documentary um things like creed like that's like barely i don't even i don't think any of the creed movies are mentioned at all like planet hollywood's not mentioned mm -hmm. like um one of sylvester stallone's children passed away tragically uh that's not really discussed uh sylvester stallone has been married three times like none of his wives are mentioned really at all like there's a lot of stuff that's like left really out of the documentary uh but it, it's really best viewed as kind of uh what was sylvester stallone thinking when he made movies like rocky and rambo and copland and the expendables and like it, it, it it's almost like um like a Blu-ray, like a really good Blu-ray special feature, I would say, you know, like really, really good. Uh, and so therefore I would actually recommend it partially because it's also 93 minutes and it has some really great insight, but it really made me appreciate what it was that Sylvester Stallone did and the level of difficulty uh, of what he achieved, which was he uh, was, let's just say he's a unique looking dude and he was trying to be an actor. And he was not getting cast in leading roles. He was always cast as a thug or a background player. And so he wrote Rocky for himself, right? He's like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting the roles I want. So I'm writing a movie for myself. The studios tried to pay him lots of money to buy the script and have him not act in it. Apparently they offered him around 250 grand at one point. And he would not, he knew he would not be able to live with himself if he took that money and didn't act in Rocky. Um, and so he, he tried really hard and got the movie made and obviously it was a huge success and spawned many sequels. Um, but, uh, it just struck me that, oh yeah, that is actually relatively rare for an action star to kind of metaphorically write their own ticket, right? To like, to be a writer and an actor and to like make their own destiny. We've seen it happen before with like, I'm going to say a goodwill hunting, you know, like mm -hmm. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, like they wrote that movie for themselves to star in. Cause they, they weren't getting material that they wanted, but another it, example is sling blade. Yeah. Sling blade. Um, but it's, um, it's rare to have the character that is then created be one that becomes a franchise that spans like 30 to 40 years, right? That, that is rare. Um, you know, they're still making Rocky movies today. There's like last year, there's a Rocky movie come out, right? Uh, so Ish, Rocky was, wasn't in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> in that franchise though. Yes. Fair, fair enough. Um, 
and actually Creed 3 came out earlier this year. I apologize, March of 2023. But um but yeah, uh and and then to not only have that you know to, to not only be able to pull that off once, but to pull that off twice uh with Rambo. Now he did not I don't know, I don't believe he wrote Rambo, but a lot did he write Rambo? A lot of his writing went into Rambo First Blood. I think um, he he came up with the idea for Rambo and then somebody else wrote it, I think. Yeah, he yeah, that's right. So it was the story by David Morell. It was like I think based off of a uh uh is it based off of a book? I, I, I'm sorry. I should have. Uh, yeah, the the book. Um, it was based off of a book, and then he helped to work on the screenplay. So that's right. So he didn't like originate the idea of the Rambo, but uh, he was part of making, you know, crafting that character, and obviously was a critical part of all the sequels. Sounds like this documentary um, didn't really give you a lot of info. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I've already said that. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it did mention the book, and I just uh, I just forgot that fact. But um, anyway. Uh, so I, I thought it was really fascinating. It gives some insight into his home life, which is very difficult. Uh, and, uh, sort of what he was thinking when he walked through some of these, uh, when he like made some of these movies. The other, the other thing that I thought was interesting is like the media tried to make him out to be the next great actor, you know, like he's like such (laughs) a big deal, but, and it's like, that's not really what he did one thing really well, but he, you know, the media tried to make him out to be something that he wasn't. And I thought, I found that interesting as well. Um, the one last thing I'll mention from the documentary Sly on Netflix is I found it really sad. The part about, you know, when he tried to do other things, he tried to do comedy in movies like Oscar and stop or my mom will shoot. And he tried to be really dramatic in Copland. Right. And none of those movies did well. And as, as Sylvester Stallone talks about it in the movie, he says, hey, you know, we all, we as actors or we as human beings like to think we can do many things well. And I no longer believe that. I think you have one thing that makes you special, just lean into that, which is why after Copland, he really kind of focused on Rocky sequels and mm-hmm. Rambo, Rambo sequels. sequels that's a so shame. That movie right? is great. Expendable so sequels. Expendable yeah, se- that's yeah. right. Expendable sequels and so on. Like he leaned into kind of what he felt made him distinctive. Expendables is such the algorithm of like, okay, what was great about my old movies? What do people like? Explosions? Big names? Big action stars? Let's just do all of them. All of them all yeah. at once, right? It, it made me feel like there would be a whole different like alternate universe in which Copland was a hit and like Stallone late stage in life was like dramatic mm-hmm. roles. That's that would the, be great. That's yeah. the universe that exists in Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. mean, uh, listen, Tulsa King. He is giving some dramatic. Hey, yeah, and that Tulsa. <laughs> this show's a hit. It's it's doing well, and people are like it's a very dumb show, but he is a lot of fun in it. You know, <laughs> I agree. I, I Dave, you got to watch show, Tulsa but... King. I'll take in an episode. If you, especially after this documentary, he's... if you want to see what he's doing now, it's Tulsa. He's having King, a blast. Yeah, he's having a blast. Yeah. I also highly recommend if you didn't get a chance to watch it. I I think I mentioned on the show a while back. There's a thing on YouTube uh, about him recutting Rocky Four, and it's mm. incredible. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, takes yeah, place yeah. during COVID, and he like didn't have anything to do, so he's like, "I'm just gonna go recut this movie," and it's amazing. He's so honest and like t- talks about the process and what what's what works and what doesn't, and he knows a lot about what makes movies work or his yeah. movies work at least. Um, yeah, it's, just, I, it's just rare I, to have like actions. You know, like we are in such a producer slash writer driven era right now with especially with superhero films right like i don't think you know chris hemsworth and chris evans are they, they're bringing a lot to those characters but they're certainly not shaping the broad outlines of those stories right 
and it just r- reminded me like it's relatively rare for like a huge action hero, a huge action star to to have a huge hand in shaping the stories in which he is in. Um, so anyway, it, it gave me that appreciation. But so you also yeah. saw you also watched the uh, Schwarzenegger documentary. Wh- which yeah. one is better? Well, a lot of people seem to like the Arnold one better. I found the Arnold one to be like kind of this weird in-between zone of it is too long to be a breezy watch. It's like three hours long, but it is not insightful enough to justify that length. And so I did not like the Arnold documentary. The Sylvester Stallone documentary is also not like, there's, as I said, there's vast portions of his life it does not cover. But what is great about it is it's only 90 minutes. So it's like, you know, oh, I watched it and I got a better appreciation of a Sylvester Stallone. And that's kind of what I hoped for and what I got. And it was 90 minutes and... That's that, you know? It was the marvels of documentaries <laughs> about 80s and 90s action stars. So yeah. Uh, so I, I have no complaints. But I, I personally liked this one more. I felt, also felt Sylvester Stallone was more vulnerable in this movie mm-hmm. than Arnold Schwarzenegger was in his film. That's, that's me, though. People might have different opinions. So I highly recommend and, the Schwarzenegger uh, WTF with Mark Maron. It's, it's awesome. He's nice. like <laughs> loose and telling great stories he talks about how like he was an originally pitched stop your mom will shoot yeah and he, yeah, yeah and he knew it was a a, a pos you know he knew yeah. it was a turd and so he like feigned interest in it because stallone's people were trying to like out you know yeah there's a huge like, rivalry at the time yeah. that story is also covered in the in the documentary yeah, so. sounds very funny yeah it's it's very funny it's it's like a legend online legend and it, yeah. it turned out to be true so anyway that's sly documentary on netflix and it's one thing I've been watching this week. Let's take a quick break for another sponsor. We'll be right back with more right after this. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Devinder Hardwar, you've been watching something that we've all actually been watching this week. Hit us up with it. Sure, yeah. I've been watching The Curse, the new Nathan Fielder show, which just kind of came out of nowhere, to be honest, right? Yeah. I didn't know this was happening, but... uh, I think a couple months ago or weeks ago, there was a trailer, uh, Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone in a thing together playing potentially house flippers. So I checked out the first episode of this on Showtime, which is now part of Paramount Plus, actually. So that's uh, it's always fun to see. And this, this is just well, like another... Is, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I watched it through Paramount Plus. Yeah, so yeah, did you, I. You, you they, 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 there's no more Showtime separate streaming service, right, so it's right. all oh, like oh, in I, there. I'm sorry. I thought you said it's not. It, it is now part of Paramount Plus. It is now. Yeah, yeah. yeah gotcha. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, this shows yet another one of uh, the weird Nathan Fielder joints. I think like it is 
watching it makes me feel deeply uncomfortable. Yes. I think it's often very hilarious and it shows me things I've never seen before. And that is something this man excels at. And it's also the mostly power penises. of penises. <laughs> mostly tiny penises. And uh, Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie together, just like it, it is such a it is such a wonderful storm of chaos. I still don't know what to make of it, but I am I'm very intrigued, guys. I love this thing. Uh yeah, I mean I watched the first episode as well and I'm a big fan. There was multiple points at which my soul almost exited my body, if I recall. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. yes. yes. It is deeply profoundly uncomfortable. It's, what if what if uh, like watching you know, the office or yeah. uh curb your enthusiasm but instead of like hilarious uh, social <laughs> faux pas it's like deeply disturbing cultural faux pas yeah. <laughs> or like almost like psychological horror to some degree like it's, it's yeah. really it creepy it gets weird it's, yeah the it's music really certainly leans into that too yeah. it, what's so weird too is that it is done in the style of Safety Brothers film. So if you've seen Good Time, if you've seen Uncut Gems, the style and look of this film, I'm sorry, the show, The Curse, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. very similar. Like it has a very grainy texture to the to the footage. Um, the camera movements are very similar to what they use, like a lot of zoom ins and so on. Um, but the first episode is directed by Nathan Fielder, uh, which I was like, oh, that's interesting that he's, you know, it is not in a similar style to Nathan for you. At least most of it is not. Not at uh, all. And so, and so I just think that's interesting that he's kind of t- taking on their style in some ways. I also mm-hmm. want to give a shout out to Nathan Fielder as an actor. He's so yeah. good. Yeah. I think he's excellent in this show. Incredible. So, yeah. Like there are moments where he sort of organically goes from this place of uncomfortable to kind of like angry and aggressive. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is amazing. It's, it's an terrifying. amazing turn. It's so yeah. It's really off-putting. But. There, there's almost there's like a David Lynch element to it too. Like it, it is about the the weirdness of uh, of normal seeming people, right? And how there's like could be a darkness beneath them. I got I got that those vibes a lot as well. Yeah, it's it's this notion of uh, people that are so uh, sure that they are good people. Yes, that they're yes. blind to their own evils. You know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Man, it it is really kind of a haunting experience. It, it, we we talk about in these dark terms, and it, it's there's nothing particularly dark about the subject matter, but it it goes to dark places. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't laugh that much during the show. I I, I like cre- I like literally oh, re- cur- curled into a fetal position. I, I had several huge it. laugh out loud moments, which <laughs> doesn't happen anymore mm. in comedies for me, really. But man, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a couple of moments I laughed, maybe, but yeah, I didn't laugh very much. I was more cringy than than not. But whatever the case, it is a bold and so original good. work, and I think it is certainly worth checking out. So we also don't bo- know what it is. is like, word. what what is this? Yeah, yeah. really, yeah. like what, it is yeah. undefinable genre wise. Like it is so we don't know where this is gonna go. It's just it's exciting in the way that Fielder's projects tend to be. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Where in the same way that his you know uh, the 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 rehearsal was like, you don't really have a sense of where the next episode is going to take you. I think this show is that way too, but much more, it's much more fiction, you know, it's much more pure, like dramatic fiction than his other shows, which are sort of this mix between reality show and, and, you know, fiction. It's, this feels like much more traditional fictional television show with actors being actors, but it still feels very unpredictable and, dangerous almost dangerous you know yeah yeah totally well anyway 
Check it out. The Curse. It's available right now on Paramount Plus slash Showtime. Uh, Devinder, you wanted to give a shout out to a podcast as well, right? Yeah, I've been listening to a show called Ghost Story. It's a wondery podcast. And I want to shout it out here, too, because it is... Um, I think it's only a matter of time until this thing is bought and turned into a movie or or a limited series or something. Um, it's really cool. It's about a journalist called uh, named Tristan Redman, and this is supposedly a true story. Um, he grew up in uh, in London in a house where weird things would happen in his bedroom, especially um, a vase would move. He would put it in one place at night and it would move at the the next day, and uh, you know it sort of happened. He forgot about it. Then he started hearing stories from um, people who still lived in that house um, or people, uh, neighbors, like people who lived in that house after him experienced much weirder things and always like on the top floor where he was staying and or in his room. And he heard one family say um, basically a, a girl reported that her bed just started shaking out of nowhere and she was seeing impressions on her bed. One person reported seeing a faceless woman in, in that room. And I just find it, you know, we've, we've talked about ghost story stuff before and like supernatural stuff. A lot of most of the stuff is not real, but I do like have that part of me is just like, I would really love for some, some of this to be proved at some point, because certainly from stuff I've seen in the, I don't know, corroborated stories I've heard from people I trust. Um, there are sometimes weird stuff happening out there. What is fascinating though, is, um, in this, in this, uh, podcast, the, the host also discovers his wife used to live next door when she was a teenager. He, he did not know that. They, like they got together in college without even knowing like this proximity. His wife's great grandmother was murdered um, almost a hundred years ago, 1937 uh, on the, on the top floor of either that house or like the, the house next door. There's all this stuff kind of connected to it. And this show, I think does a good job of talking about the people who've experienced weird, weird stuff in this room, but also it ends up being kind of a murder mystery too. Like what, what really happened to this person's great, uh, great grandmother. I'm not super into true crime stuff, but I think this is weirdly, it is a uh, very compelling. It's wonderfully made. And I just like the, the sort of like real spooky element to it because hearing people talk about their experiences in that place doesn't feel like a setup. It doesn't feel like people just, uh, you know, just, just like poking fun at us. So I find that all really good. So if you like spooky stuff, check out a ghost story where we get podcasts. All right, Jeff Kanata. Hit us up with a couple things you've been watching. Well, you checked out the documentary about Sylvester Stallone. I also checked out a famous person documentary this week, one I had been very highly anticipating. Uh, it is Albert Brooks Defending My Life. I am a huge Albert Brooks fan, have been for a long time. Uh, Defending Your Life and uh, Broadcast News are two of my very favorite movies. Um, and... I think Albert Brooks is a genius and is one of those, you know, filmmakers that is so interesting and just, but there's a lot of, I didn't know about him. And I actually sat down and watched this uh, documentary with my mom. This is a, a created, directed, uh, helmed by Rob Reiner, who actually met Albert Brooks in high school before either of them were uh, famous. Although, you know, obviously one, dad was Carl Reiner. So, uh, but, uh, you know, they've known each other for 60 plus years and are, you know, have, have referred to each other as best friends for much of that time. And, uh, so it, it, it's a remarkably intimate 
I mean, much of the documentary is just the two of them sitting at a table and talking and sort of reminiscing and going, you know, stepping through Albert Brooks's career. And, you know, Albert Brooks, whose real name is Albert Einstein, uh, and he's actually a genius. So, you know, two plus two, I guess, or e equals MC squared as the case may be. Um, if you are not familiar with Albert Brooks or you've only seen one of his movies or you've only seen him as the bad guy in Drive or something, do yourself a favor, watch this. It's on Max, the one to watch for HBO. It will show you the genius of this man and why he's so important to so many people. There are interviews with it, just a, who, a who's who of brilliant comedic people. I mean, Chris Rock and uh, David Letterman and Ben Stiller. And, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on of all the people that you know, Conan O'Brien. It's, 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 there's just an endless litany of people that are interviewed that all credit Albert Brooks as being uh, a huge influence on them and somebody they looked up to. And I, like I said, I watched this documentary, which is also only about 90 minutes or so. It's not, you know, I think maybe it's a hundred minutes at most. Uh, so it's a brisk watch, but my mom and I were tears rolling down our face laughing because there's so many bits, uh, his, he was, he's, he appeared on the tonight show as a guest 40 plus times. And, uh, Reiner clips in so many of his like iconic standup bits and crazy things that he did and short films. And he, Albert Brooks is the reason that. Saturday Night Live has rotating guests hosts. He's the reason he made that happen. Uh, he was the original guy who did short films in the context of Saturday Night Live. That's why they have sort of short films in the show. I mean, he has had such a huge footprint on comedy and on filmmaking. His first film, Real Life, was the first mockumentary. <laughs> like, he he predates uh, uh, This Chris Is Final Tap yeah. and... He like he invented he like in that movie, he basically predicts reality TV and predicts what will happen when Hollywood gets its hands on reality TV. I mean, he he's a genius. And uh, I, there's a number of movies uh, that I have never seen of his like Lost in America, which now I desperately want to want to watch. Um, but, you know, I think he's a singular talent and you really get a sense of why. Again, this is not a critical look at this man. This is created by his best friend. So if you're looking for a you know real expose into uh, his personal life, that's not present. It, it does interview his children and his wife, but uh, it is very much a glowing portrait of uh, Albert Brooks and um, one I got a lot of joy out of. I mean, my mom turned to me after it. She's like, thank you so much for putting this on. That was so much fun to watch. We were laughing our butts off watching it, and it makes me want to watch his movies again. I mean, Defending Your Life is a movie that, you know, I constantly think about. It's one of those movies that just the concepts of it live rent-free in my head, and I'm constantly sort of referencing that movie in subtle ways in my mind. Um, and, you know, the movie Mother is amazing if you've never seen Mother uh, and, uh, he, you know, he's, he's, he's brilliant and broadcast news is one of the greatest movies of all time. So, uh, his performance in that, and, you know, there are sequences that they show that I haven't thought about in a while. And I was just rolling with laughter cause he's so good at it. Um, so check out Albert Brooks defending my life on max, the one to watch for HBO. Yeah. Not, not to be confused with defending your life, which as you've already indicated, <laughs> separate movie, uh, 
but although yeah, hey, uh, if you watch that, you wouldn't. I don't think you'd regret it. Meryl right. Streep, uh, Albert stuff. Brooks. It's brilliant. I feel like this was made for you, Jeff. This is very my dinner with Andre, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a sense. I mean, it's much more. I and mean, there's lots of clips, so it's mm-hmm. not just two. Pe- it's two people sitting at a table talking, but it is constantly cutting mm-hmm. away and showing clips and whatever they're talking about. You know, there's one s- sequence where he like recites something, and it and it f- cross fades to the actual source material of what it, of what he's reciting, and it talks about his father, who I had no idea was a huge. Uh, a huge force of comedy in his own right in his day, you know, with, um, you know, a contemporary of Milton Berle and, and, uh, you know, those, that era. Um, and his mom was a, was a performer as well. So like lots, obviously his brother was super Dave Osborne uh, has passed on now, but he had two other brothers as well. There's a lot of really interesting stuff. I didn't know about him. And it, it, it talks about everything. It talks about his influence on the Simpsons and how he did, you know, so many voices on the Simpsons and, and Finding Nemo, he's of course you know the main voice in Finding Nemo. So it's um it's comprehensive, glowing, and a lot of fun. I really loved it. Awesome! I, I will try to check it out. It's uh, Albert Brooks defending my life on Max the One to watch for HBO. Jeff, anything else to be watching this week? Yes, my wife and I finally finished our journey through the Righteous Gemstones, which I came to very late, uh, despite Devendra's protestations. Um, mm-hmm. I, I sadly uh, ignored this show for way too yeah. long. You're beyond me now, Jeff. You you went past me, so good job. Oh, wow. excellent, Devendra, Devendra! You gotta finish, man. I gotta, I'm here to I tell you, yeah the 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 season finale of season three mm. is in incredible one of the most remarkable moments of television i have ever witnessed it's incredible i don't want to spoil anything about it but it is the show goes places and that's great that's great uh Mm -hmm. i think it i mean i'm really hoping there's a season four i don't know if that has been announced but it really could be a series finale it feels that much of a punctuation mark uh, on the on the the series. I'm hoping there's more of this show, but I I think Righteous Gemstones has elevated into one of my favorite pieces of television. It is so funny. It has comedic performances across the board that are among the best you'll see anywhere. From so many members of the cast are just giving, I mean, top tier comedic performances. It is insightful it's scathing it's whip smart laser sharp i mean it 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 skewers a part of society that i think deserves skewering these these mega churches that rake in money and don't have to pay any taxes and these people are i think these people are you know awful uh but it, it has a humanity at its heart as well and it is so funny so funny um i just i think the world of the show and it is a show that I ignored for way too long. And I think my sense is not enough people are talking about this show. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Yes. Uh, well, I'm glad you liked it, Jeff. Uh, I got about a season and a half through it and I still plan to finish it. Um, but yeah, uh, I can't uh, wait to talk to you guys about the end of season three. It is great. great. Incredible. All right. Well, that's something else that Jeff Kanata has been watching this week. That's going to bring us to the end of what we've been watching. We're going to take one final break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more and our review of the Marvels right after this. All right, folks, let's do a few weekly plugs.
Weekly Plugs, a part of the show where we plug something else we've been making. I want to plug uh, DecodingEverything.com, my free newsletter that you should sign up for at DecodingEverything.com. Uh, I've been covering a lot more media and tech news recently, and I wrote recently about the fact that a lot of the sites that we grew up with have been shutting down. You know, uh, sites like mm-hmm, Vice have been mm-hmm. laying off people and... Uh, Escapist has mass resignations last week. Jezebel shutting down. Tumblr is switching to just a skeleton crew. Uh, it's uh, it's a bad time to be in media, but I'm covering it all at decodingeverything.com. You should check it out, uh, along with my commentary on other things that are going on in the world of film and TV. All right. Um, Devinger Hardware, your weekly plug. Sure. Over at the Engadget podcast, I talked to Joe Hunting, the director of We Met in Virtual Reality. It's a movie I reviewed uh, last year, and he is launching a new studio to make a VR film. So we have a discussion about that, His the way he shoots stuff in VR. It's pretty cool. He uses, um, uh, I think, something called VRC or VRC Cam. Um, it's a camera just for VR chat. So you can shoot stuff like the real world, but in VR. It's kind of cool. Take a listen to that interview and also check out his movie. That's on Max right now, too. I do just want to also say you may have noticed Devendra is uh, a little bit under the weather. And Devendra, we thank you for for sticking with us. Uh, no problem. Uh, during the main episode I know, it's this rough. week. It's rough uh, to hear we, this. Yeah. No, well, just I feel bad. Um, but we appreciate Devendra being here anyway, uh, even though he's not feeling very well. Um, and also, you may notice that his voice changes completely during our Marvels review. That's true. That's <laughs> it gets true. stronger. We, we just recorded it. <laughs> yeah, where it matters. Where it matters. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was recorded at a separate time. But anyway, Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Well, if you like limericks, uh, I got limericks to sell you folks at cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. I'm here standing on the street corner trying to sell a limerick. Uh, and people tend to dig them. You can get a bespoke limerick written specifically for you for any occasion by going to cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And um, check out the five-star reviews. I have, uh, I think, I want to say 200 of them now? Uh, five star? It might be a 100. I can't remember. It's been a while since I looked. But I appreciate everybody reviewing it and loving what they uh, what they get. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun doing limericks for folks. And you can get one too for any occasion. Thanksgiving, why not? Uh, never too early for the holidays or just uh, give yourself a gift cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata and of course I always want to give a plug to this podcast patreon.com slash film podcast where you can sign up for ad free episodes and exclusive after darks we recently reviewed the holdovers the new Alexander Payne movie on the after dark check it out of course we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them financial hardship you can always support this podcast for free share our videos online or Leave a podcast review at uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to everyone who helps to keep this podcast going. Let's get to our review of the Marvels. Carol Danvers, prodigal child of the Milky Way. Nick Fury. My favorite one-eyed man of intrigue. How goes it out there? Uh, you know, cold, no air, space. Annihilator. You took everything from me. And now I'm returning the favor. Welcome to the film cast review of The Marvels. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from the internet. Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, has reclaimed her identity from the tyrannical Kree and taken revenge on the supreme intelligence. 
However, unintended consequences see her shouldering the burden of a destabilized universe. When her duties send her to an anomalous wormhole, her powers become entangled with two other superheroes to form the Marvels. Joining us today for our review of the Marvels, she is a filmmaker and YouTube video essayist whose work can be seen at youtube.com slash at jessiegender1. I've enjoyed many of her videos. Jesse Earl, welcome to the Filmcast. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad I can nerd out with y'all. Uh, we are so thrilled to have you here. Uh, and so uh, this is, uh, you know, this this kind of conversation used to be a big event, big Marvel movie <laughs> coming out. Uh, and uh, I do want to point out that, by the way, if you are a patron at patreon.com slash film podcast, you are hearing this review early. So thanks to every one of our patrons for making this podcast possible. Uh, but yeah, probably in the film news segment, we'll have discussed how uh, next year is like, the, the the slate has been cleared in terms Real of Marvel bad. films. There, it's, yeah. Deadpool three is the only Marvel film coming out next year, I think. Um, and I'm even shocked if that gets out on time, considering yeah. the SAG after a strike. That right? Yeah, that, that'll yeah. be a, a miracle if that even makes it. So Herschel um, Ali is out there just working out. It's gonna be working out for another <laughs> year. Like, keep it up. Keep it up, man. It. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is gonna be like one of the last big Marvel films for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesse, there's been a lot of discussion about the state of Marvel these days. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on on how Marvel's doing, and then let's dive into your thoughts on on the Marvels and what your expectations were going in. Yeah, I I am kind of where everyone else is with, at with Marvel. Maybe a little bit more positive than most, but not not much. Um, I've enjoyed Loki season two. I've been very up and down, but the finale that aired uh, last night as of this recording uh, was, I think, excellent and kind of tied it together in a really nice way. Um, I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which felt more like a James Gunn joint than it really was uh, actually like a Marvel film. Um, and uh, I found most of the TV shows to be pretty bland and having like interesting ideas and thoughts in there like Miss Marvel, um, I think had some really great stuff with uh, Kamala Khan, as we'll see in the Marvels here. But overall, just found them fairly bland in stock when it comes to their basic plot structure. Um, and I found just most of Marvel's output to be fairly boring and dull and really frustrating, especially when you look at some of the behind the scenes stuff with their treatment of VFX artists and things like that. Um, and while there are little pops of things that are interesting to me, like She-Hulk's sort of, uh, you know, breaking the fourth wall stuff, overall, I just found it very, very lackluster. And so going into the Marvels, I was just kind of shocked to see where my expectations were at, which was uh, being just expecting to be disappointed and expecting to just come out of it <laughs> right. just like bleh. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about uh, talk about it as we go into it. But I was, I guess it's a little bit better than that, but uh, but not by much. So you're so. expecting to be disappointed and yes. you were slightly less disappointed than yeah, you thought I was you'd like, be. This is, this this is, is fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. That's, that's uh, Jesse's review. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, Divinder Hardware, what did you think of the Marvels overall? Yeah, I would say this is more than fine. I, I had a blast with this movie, maybe because I went in also thinking like, guys, like, yeah, we've talked about all the Marvel stuff and there have been ups and downs. And what I've realized is actually the movies have not been terrible lately. I know people are, um, there's a lot of like backlash to the third Thor, um, Guardians 3, not everybody enjoyed, but I was, I, I, I thought the Thor was better than I think the consensus was. I really enjoyed Guardians 3. I like Doctor Strange too. What I it's realized the quantum mania of it all. It's the quantum mania. <laughs> yeah. Ruin yeah. things like really soured me. And also, there's just too much TV stuff. And so much of the TV stuff is like 
bad, outright bad. Like yeah. I gave Secret Invasion two episodes, God. and I just wanted to like I wanted to turn off my TV and go for a long walk because it felt like we were in a very bad situation with that show. But I also <laughs> felt the same way about Moon Knight. You know, we were yeah, so excited terrible. for Moon Knight. Oscar Isaac is Moon Knight. Surely he cannot like go wrong for a second superhero thing, right? Except totally wrong. So yeah, I'm I'm not super hyped on Marvel right now. But I was interested in the Marvels because I do think um, I think the Kamala Khan show was fantastic. Like, I think that was outright great because it was more than just setting up stuff for the cinematic like the MCU. It was a story about about the history of Pakistan, basically, and about the Mm -hmm. Pakistani American experience. It was about something. And um, I liked everybody involved with that. I thought Iman Vellani was fantastic. So I was excited to see what she would do on a big screen. To see somebody who went from cosplaying as Miss Marvel at Comic-Con to somebody actually playing her and somebody in a blockbuster movie. I, I just was excited to see that. And I think like overall, this movie is a ton of fun, but it does suffer from a lot of the Marvelness of it because we, we will, in spoilers, talk about like what this movie is actually about. And I feel like it really does hold back on some darker things that could be interesting, but on a broad surface level, yeah, I mean, I, I like this trio. I like Brie Larson is great as ever. Um, Tiana Paris, who has had also a very good year. Um, I've liked her and everything. Like, I like the trio. I like the energy they have of bouncing off each other. This movie feels a lot like uh, Doctor Who at times. Like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of great Doctor Who energy here, which is exactly what you want for Cosmic Marvel. And it, it, I just felt like, okay, we, we have not had fun for a very long time. Like, Marvel has been either super boring or kind of dour because as much as I like guardians three, like there were just some really gruesome elements to that because that is James Gunn's vibe at times. So this is light poppy fun. And we'll talk about, you know, the, the post credit stuff because that just had me screaming too. So yeah, I liked it overall. I just want to give a PSA for anyone who wants to know what do I need to watch uh, before I go see the <laughs> now. Now, uh, uh, there are some things that you can benefit from watching that I'm actually not going to reveal because they're spoilery. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I think you should watch Miss Marvel to maximize your enjoyment of the Marvels. Mm-hmm. I think you should watch WandaVision to maximize your enjoyment of the Marvels. The Marvels does have background information about those characters. And so you very don't, little. You don't like, need to. It's not yeah. hard to follow, but you will maximize your enjoyment if you watch Miss Marvel and WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Do not. <laughs> Watch Secret Invasion. Uh, <laughs> Just for your many life. reasons. For, for your, 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 your self-preservation. Your <laughs> yeah. of, I, I would argue your experience of the Marvels will actually be made worse if okay. you see yes. Secret Invasion. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. Uh, like it agreed. is so at odds with a story such mm-hmm. as it is that that show tried to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, just skip that altogether. But if you if you have Ms. Marvels and WandaVision uh, you know, have on your watch list, then you're all set. Okay. Jeff Kanata, what were your overall thoughts on the Marvels? Well, Dave... I guess you could say my overall thoughts on the Marvels is best summed up in the form of a limerick. You know, I think uh, Jesse may not be familiar with this ritual, Jeff. Um, oh, my goodness. I'm here uh, for it, What's though. going I'm on very with this? Excited. This is very Jesse, confusing. I have to apologize. Um, you, no. you may think you're in a podcast right now. You're actually in a sweatshop. <laughs> wow. We are, wow. Under the, we are under the thumb of a megalomaniac, uh, a, a ruler drunk with power. Of course, I'm referring to Dave Chen, whose thirst, whose whose desire for limericks <laughs> is unquenchable. And he mm. forces me every single week 
to work, to toil away in my own little sweatshop, <laughs> crafting a limerick, or wow. else he has threatened, he will shut this whole operation down. Honestly, mm. from my my interactions with him so far, uh, I, ha- I was like, yeah, I get that vibe. That reads yeah. different. Consistent, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Follows Thank through, you. yeah. Yeah. Jesse gets it. Jesse gets it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so here you are, Master Chen. Uh, here's your. <laughs> Let's here's not your encourage limit. him with that title. Okay. <laughs> more, wow. The explanation gets more angry every single time. I love it. Okay, Jeff, go ahead. <laughs> <clears throat> I was worried there wasn't just one, and that two were from television. <laughs> but it does something clever. It links them together, so three becomes triple the fun. Woo! Keyword fun. Yeah, I agree. I agree uh, with Devendra that I I had a a blast with this movie. I think it could have gone farther, Mm -hmm. but I had a blast. I think this is sort of mid tier Marvel Mm -hmm. uh, in that, and and that's not uh, a a detriment. Mid tier Marvel is pretty darn good, in my opinion. Um, It's not, you know, top tier Marvel, but it is solid fun. It's kind of what I was looking for out of this experience, which is light, exciting phenomenal action sequences just phenomenal and there is there are i would say two central gimmicks mm-hmm. gags in this movie i will not spoil either of them although i'm told the trailer does spoil at least one mm-hmm. i will not uh but those gags are so fun and so smart and i've never quite seen them done the way this movie does them and I was having such a blast with, I wish they had gone further with both of the gags, honestly. Um, but there is a central gimmick to the interplay between our three heroes that is so much fun. And the, and the movie has a lot of fun with it. And I, 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 wish, I wish that had been even more front and center. I wish it had been elevated even higher. But as it is, it's still such a blast. And I think makes for some really kinetic, fun action sequences. Um, the movie is not afraid to be silly, and I think that's to its benefit. I had a, I laughed out loud multiple times. There is one line in this movie that is one of the funniest lines I've heard all year in a, in a film, <laughs> and I can't wait to call it out specifically in spoilers. But, um, I, you know, I, I think this movie hits the tone that Quantumania aspired to yeah and just never could get to and it's a bummer because i think quantum mania wanted to have that sort of cosmic level Mm -hmm. or or you know just very broad sci-fi level fun and it it just tripped over its own whatever special effects or whatever you want to say It, it 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 collapsed under the weight of its own ambition and this movie i think sings it is a beautiful fun uh great time and i i really enjoyed it uh even though i wish it had it had kind of even gone farther mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it does not stay its welcome the uh the cast is great as you said seeing ms marvel i think she steals this movie mm-hmm. um she is uh, oftentimes the comic relief or the sort of the audience surrogate constantly commenting on how crazy the things that are happening are and that is a joy. It's it's great to have that voice in this context as well. Um, so, uh, you know, I think this movie was a real return to form for me for, you know, Marvel releases in, in that it is that like solid delivers, no big complaints, 
I feel like I had my fun, ate my popcorn, and came out of the movie theater feeling great, which is what Marvel has done consistently for you know a decade, and it's just faltered more recently. Mm. I think, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Jesse. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, no Because I gave a lot of my thoughts on like Marvel as a whole without going deep into the film. Yeah. But I think something you just said was um, that it felt like mid-tier Marvel, and for me, I think that's like perfectly spot on. In mm-hmm. that this feels like a really solid Phase Two or Phase Three film. Uh, especially weirdly considering that I would argue that this is probably the movie that most benefits from having watched all of the TV shows sans secret invasion. Uh, it also feels like the one that doesn't feel burdened the most by being a Marvel project. Like everything else, quantum mania, I think most especially feels like it's, it's trying to go for something and then has to be burdened with all the rest of the Marvel stuff going on, like Kang, for example, in quantum mania, um, or like in Dr. Strange, you have Wanda sort of very dour energy that coming off of Wanda vision and things like that. Um, and Endgame. Uh, and this feels like it just was allowing you to just go in and just have a good time with these characters and, and just have fun being in the Marvel world and, and just, enjoying yourself through that and it wasn't really aspiring to be this like big heavy thing that had to carry the weight of marvel on its shoulders but also was like taking some of its gimmicks and while not exploring them to its their fullest i think is something we'll get into in spoilers i think at least utilizing them enough that felt like oh i'm having fun with this concept rather than like quantum mania where again it's just like oh we have we have us this huge sandbox to play with and do virtually nothing with it other than like some CGI backgrounds that look kind of zany uh, that probably overworked a bunch of VFX artists to death. Um, so uh, I think overall, like, again, I-, I think this is just a really solid phase two or three for that doesn't aspire to be something huge like Endgame, but I don't mm. think it needed to be. And I think it does exactly what you want a Marvel movie to do, which is just be a fun time for two hours at the movie theater. Yeah. <laughs> to, to your point and to Dave's point as well about, you know, what to rewatch. There is a, a moment in this movie where the Monica Rabo character says, you know, somebody says something like, oh, you got your powers by walking through a witch's hex. And I was like, uh-huh. oh, my God. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I forgot. I <laughs> totally knew that. forgot that. <laughs> <happened>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think those are all great points. Uh, I, I'll share a couple brief thoughts and then let's get to spoilers. Um, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I think it's highly enjoyable. Uh, I think it does a lot of clever things. And we'll we'll talk about it in spoilers, but in particular, the MCU has a Carol Danvers problem. Yes. And that, <laughs> yes. and that problem is yes. that this is a character that is so overpowered that can like instantly solve any problem that it's like the the MCU needs to like make up reasons for that character to not be able to use their powers, mm-hmm. which in the case of the last few decades is she was busy in other galaxies solving their problems. <laughs> She had to um, go to another planet for a while. Like, very very poochy scenario there. Right, and in, I'll just say, in this movie, they come up with a really awesome solution for that mm-hmm. that I think is just really clever and well done and leads to some wonderful action scenes. So genuinely inventive stuff. Um, you know, the the point about uh, Iman Vellani's portrayal of Kamala Khan uh, as, you know, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, that is one of, you know, we were, I was watching Miss Marvel. I watched the entirety of Miss mm-hmm. Marvel before I saw this movie. And it is one of the few times in the MCU that we really get a sense of what regular people mm-hmm. think of what's going on in the MCU. Yep. Uh, you know, Sp- Spider-Man is probably the other closest one, but uh, also like, I remember uh, watching WandaVision and there's a scene where Wanda Maximoff 
gets in a car and drives <laughs> to like this house. And I'm like, uh-huh. I don't think I've ever seen an Avenger drive a car before. Like, I mean, you, <laughs> you have know, seen Tony Stark. We've in, seen like, Tony Stark, cars, but we haven't seen but, like yeah. Captain America like get in a Ford and drive. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's like, what are these people's lives when what they're not, lives like, you know, yeah. dealing with universe-ending things? And Miss Marvel gave us a glimpse into that. And what is so mm-hmm. great about uh, that character in this movie is it brings back the joy of what it was like to really. Mm-hmm. be into the MCU and be like, oh, she is us at the beginning of so phase cool. one. It's yeah. So yeah, cool. yeah. It's like, it's I, like <laughs> she captures that spirit. That's like many of us have when watching Marvel films. Right. Can I tell you the irony yeah. of, of, of a movie called Marvel's doing that uh, is that there is a, uh, a pretty famous limited series called Marvel's that was written by Kurt Busiek. That mm. is basically about, it was, I don't know, nineties or late eighties, early nineties, I think uh, basically about, street level humans looking up and talking about all mm. of the Marvel characters. I love that. Yeah. Love it's that, a fantastic yeah. comic book series. If you haven't uh, read it, uh, but it, if you can track it down, it's um, it's great. It has all uh, uh, Alex. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, famous painter. Alex Ross. Alex, Alex Ross. Ross. Yeah. yeah. Alex yeah. Ross covers and they're great. It's, so then the Alex Ross covers are very much like, you know, make it look like the the heroes are wearing actual fabric, and you know, it, it it's very much a, a deconstruction of like what it would be like if it was really real, and you were just a person who lived in New York City, yeah, and this stuff was happening in the skies above you. Anyway, so it's called Marvels, and this is also yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. I love that as a concept, and and uh, and I, it's stuff that I think about all the time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the the other thing I just want to say is. You know, I had a lot of fun, but I also think the plot, the villain, the resolution, <laughs> not great. I uh-huh. didn't, mm-hmm. didn't love it. It felt very rushed. And uh, there are many stories. I, I have received, I, I have sources that tell me that uh, the way that this movie was made, it was a very, very tumultuous journey to get it to the big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think that the movie shows evidence of that. Like, it feels like we're introducing big ideas and then, oh, and we're moving on. We're not doing that anymore. And like, yeah. uh, and I do think it, it's evident. Um, so not great, but like, I don't think it's a terrible film. It's like, it, 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 and here's the thing. It is one hour and 45 minutes long. That yeah. is the shortest MCU film that has ever existed. I feel like and it is half that- a flower moon. <laughs> <laughs> it is half a flower and, moon. And I it's, think- it is that time though, I feel like because somebody held a gun to the cat that plays, uh, you know, alien cat, like this movie's going to be under two hours where the cat gets it. And <laughs> I will extend his life by several years for every five minutes you get below two hours, you know, so that cat's going to live a long time. I think uh, the short runtime is an asset. The movie doesn't True. ask very much of you, and I, I don't think it gives that much, but it gives enough that I think it's an enjoyable romp. Uh, mm-hmm. And so worth checking out if you want like a fun time at the theater, mm-hmm. but not if you w- not if you want something that's going to have something interesting to say or something that's going to even advance the MCU along in any interesting way. I mean, you know? it brings like, up interesting ideas of like, what do you do when our superheroes aren't always super right mm-hmm. when the the consequences of what they do, which we'll talk about in spoilers, are not great for everybody. I, yeah. gu- I guess, you know, like it. But it, yes, the, it, it, it we will talk about this ideas in the most like <laughs> I can't defend what possible. I'm saying yeah. until okay. we go to right, let's so, get to spoilers. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. So, spoilers for uh, the Marvels starting right now. Spoilers. 
I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right. I mean, do you want to set it up, Devinger, or do you want I, me I mean, to? I'm gonna, I mean, I can set it up, because... The idea that this movie brings up is that, you know, um, Captain Marvel, when at the end of that first movie, which I'm now realizing just evaporated from my brain. I had no <laughs> recollection. There was an AI. She she defeated the big AI. Yeah, okay. I have to yeah, admit, yeah, I yeah. also did not remember that part. I remember, um, <laughs> you know, I remember like the, the characters. The Cree and the scrolls. Yes. I, I remember all that. Yes. But yeah, the, the AI stuff I didn't remember. Just but, like, yeah. okay, I guess that happened. But yeah, because of what she did, it basically ruined the, the Cree home planet, right? So... That is interesting. And that is something where the movie could have been like, she she feels bad. Like that's ultimately it. And the villain is mad. And I actually like, I really like the actress who plays the villain, Zawi Ashton, but she has no, like there's nothing for her, unfortunately, in this movie. And I also think like the, the, the costuming and everything, like it just doesn't look good on her. She looks, she looks too much like a, a younger person trying to be a big bad. And mm-hmm. that is a shame. But I had a lot of sympathy for her, and this movie could have easily been reframed with the scene we see, uh, kind of as she explains it, of Captain Marvel being this villain who comes in and destroys her home planet. The movie never mentions, like, people probably die. Like, a lot of people die. Like, thousands of people. Per- possibly I don't know, more, probably, possibly perhaps millions. Perhaps millions. Perhaps this was like a genocidal event that happened by accident because of, because of Captain Marvel, and she feels bad about it. But the movie does not get into specifics it's just right. like I oh mean, well the, the sky's bad now that, that would have been it interesting. Is, yeah. yeah it go is ahead. a you know a direct allegory to something like you know taking out saddam hussein yes right like yeah. you mm-hmm. take out the evil dictator and then you destabilize the region and a lot of bad stuff happens mm-hmm. and i think that's a pretty profound thing for a you know goofy superhero movie to even approach yeah i agree with dave in that it it doesn't do service to that no. idea yeah. uh, in any, but, but I also agree with Devendra that if you are tuned to that station in your mind, you walk away thinking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. The movie For doesn't kid force it on you. Yeah. Yeah. Kid's not going to get it, but I certainly thought about it. I certainly felt that, 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 you know, that maybe, maybe I was a weird kid, Jeff, but it is sometimes <laughs> these little tidbits of things. I think, like I remember, I watched RoboCop way too young as a kid, right? And there's that <laughs> defining. There's I didn't remember like this the execution and all that stuff. What I remember is Alex Murphy going back home and seeing the memories of his of his former life and not being able to touch it, right? Like that that sort mm. of heart heartbreak and loss. Anyway, that's what I took away, and that that has sat with me for I, years. I feel like I, a kid uh, watching this. I don't know. I, I, for me. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I, I want to respect your it's guys. Not a, it's not as good as that, fe- obviously. Fe- yeah, I, yeah, I was like, I can't believe you'd even bring it's that up. It's not as good as breath. that. But I'm like, talking about uh, how I reacted to I it. Don't like, think, as a kid. I don't yeah. think we should give Marvel any credit at all for this. Yeah. Because well, I, I think that it, it, it brings it up in the most surface level way, it does nothing to honor it, as Jeff, you said. And it is from a co- coming from a company that is notorious for not saying anything political of any interest. It's whatsoever. true. It's true. But it's not, so, like, not there. It's not, I, not there. It is. Sorry. Go ahead, Jesse. Oh, yeah, no, no, go, ahead, sorry, Jesse. No, yeah, go ahead, Jesse. Well, I yeah. think, I think the thing that frustrated me the most is like where it hinted at 
um, you know, you have the Cree, which were this very clearly colonizing nation mm-hmm. um, that does face this sort of like, existential threat because of Captain Marvel and that sort of being a, a burden on, on her that I think is interesting. But even more so, there's this stuff at the beginning with this peace talks with the Skrulls mm-hmm. that I think could have been super fascinating, especially coming off of the first Captain Marvel movie and the sort of subversion of the Skrulls as refugees. And you sort of have this interesting thing about like what happens when these this the colonizers, they sort of like fall apart and then they also try to reach out, but also in a way that's still having that sort of colonizer mindset of like, we still want to yeah. extract your resources. Yep. That's super interesting. And uh, Devendra, to go to your point of like these ideas that sort of make you think about it, especially as a kid going to these movies, I, Robocop is sort of its own thing because RoboCop is, I think, a very it's deep not a movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, well, it's a it's a very deep movie. Like yeah. Sans, like if like just the ideas in it. Mm-hmm. But for me, as someone who uh, I'm a big Trekkie, as many people know, and Star Trek is especially as you get later into that it franchise's era in like the 2000s when I got into it as a kid. Um, it's like a sea of 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 wasted potential <laughs> in so mm-hmm. many of its concepts. And I went as a kid being like, oh, that's a cool idea and found that like first time I encountered that idea and then would go into like fan fiction or yep. search out more things that explored those ideas in greater depth. Um, and so I think for kids, like maybe like whose thing is like, I really like that scroll idea and would go further from that, I think would be super fascinating. And so I fan think fiction that is like directly checked name checked in this movie, yeah, too, which is. That's great. Exactly. That is exactly it. And, yeah. and not in like a and not in like a disparaging way either, mm-hmm. where it's often like, oh, women like fan fiction, so it's this dumb thing, whatever. So I did really like that. Um and but I to Dave's point, like I do think like we should not give credit to to um, Marvel or Disney in any way because they just they they don't want to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think getting into the villain of it, I was saying this in my own review for my channel on this, is that the villain is so lackluster. Like she has so many good ideas in, in her in the fact that she does, she is a colonizer. She is trying to steal resources, but she does also have a rightful grudge against Captain Marvel that comes out in the choices of where she chooses to steal things from. Like I think that's all really interesting, but it's, it's so underdeveloped and not really do- delved into to but in some ways there's a part of me and this is letting the film off a little too easy but having seen what marvel's done with other villains recently in ways that deeply offended (laughs) me like looking at the villain of secret invasion where we see refugees being very vilified using anti-semitic conspiracy theories as literal Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the actual text or you know the the flag smashers being like a revolutionary group that's saying is like oh look they're going too far with their violence um we need to we need to have a middle road um sort of thing it's like you know what I am here for a villain who's just like, she's a colonizer trying to steal resources and she's the baddie. I'm like, you know what? I'll live with that if it's gonna if it's not gonna overtly <laughs> offend me. And at that mm-hmm. is letting it off too easy. And I do want uh, Disney to have and Marvel to have uh, a be- stronger voice and a more clear voice. But then also when I see them having a more clear voice on their politics in terms of saying something, yeah, it's we, like, maybe maybe, maybe, shut maybe not. Up. Maybe <laughs> shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do also think that just the 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 pure sci-fi idea of using a portal or a wormhole mm-hmm. to like steal the sun mm-hmm. is pretty cool that's pretty yeah. cool that's pretty cool yeah. you know and the way the way it's done in the where you see like like you know solar flares or whatever being like sucked into it it yeah. looks pretty it looks that's pretty rad. Cool. like mm-hmm. our yeah. sun died so we need your sun how are we gonna yeah. get it or you know stealing the water the ocean the same way that's pretty cool i think it's yeah. funny yeah. that the solution is though uh miss marvel did you ever try just uh blasting that sun You're yeah really powerful I mean, that, that's kind of ridiculous yeah. that's what i was talking yeah. about like it's like hey do you think about just like Reigniting the sun, she's like, "Oh my god!" Could I do that? 
I spent ah, 30 years just you cracked being the whole miserable. thing wide open. Like, I just, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, it's ridiculous. Zawe Ashton, I think, does a great job given the she material is great that she in has. so many other By the things. Way, also, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Tom Hiddleston's partner. Oh, um, nice. So they, oh. they're both having a big weekend. Yeah. This weekend. Um, sure. So that's pretty cool. Anyway. Big Marvel weekend, you mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I just want to say, guys, stop running. Let the cats eat you. <laughs> yes, so yes, yes. One of the best lines in a movie of all time, in my opinion. Wait, Stop movie, running. Yeah. Let the cats eat you. What a brilliant, because they brought up the idea of the cats eating things and eating people for a while. So like, what? just go full tilt with it. Just go like, so we, good. we gotta save everybody. I, 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 I was went, a fan because it ca- kind of captures the tone <laughs> of the film, which is like, yes, it, it's yeah. rare to have a Marvel film have an extended section that's kind of just for laughs. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. it's just like, hey, cats eating a bunch of people. Jesse, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say, I loved that so much because it was weird. It was such yes. a weird yeah. yes. choice. And like, it, especially with Marvel movies lately, it just feels like so by the numbers, like we're gonna have a big bad of equal yep. power sets, fight them and it's gonna be the way that we end everything. And it's just like, to have this moment that's just a weird action set piece, uh, <laughs> I thought was just lovely. And I, I wish more more big budget things would take the risk of just having mm-hmm. a weird gonzo thing in the middle of their blockbuster. I mean, um, weird like, things. Talk about the singing planet. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I, I love it. I loved it. Loved it so much because uh, what, was, what was the other movie? The the, the one with uh, with Kumail, whose name I can't even remember. Anymore. Eternals. Oh, the Eternals. Eternals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never think about it again. Everybody talk about the Eternals. Movie. Have a Bollywood I will, sequence. I will fight. The Eternals going to have a Bollywood dance sequence. Eternals Literally just Kumail dancing and spinning for like 10, 10 to 15 seconds. Whereas this is a full on musical. They put on, mm-hmm. you know, it's, several, da- like several songs. It's fun. It's, it's so pretty, good. I I thought in that, I was like, Oh, this is the sequence is going to piss off all the nerd <laughs> yes. fanboy douchebags. And, and I kind of loved it for that too, that they went there and they just like, and the fact that the planet is literally like named Aladdin, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, uh, it was pretty great. I thought that was wonderful. I think, I think my only disappointment with that sequence, cause I thought uh, like on, on the whole, I think it was really wonderful. And I think it uh, highlighted one of my major problems with the movie, which was the whole point of that sequence feels like it's it's supposed to show Captain Marvel breaking out of her shell a little bit. Mm-hmm, and like, oh, mm-hmm. she does actually have a life and actually has a personality mm-hmm. and, and, and does find a little bit of fun in the world. But... Brie Larson, and I don't really blame Brie Larson because I feel like she's not really given much as Captain Marvel to play. And I know yeah. she's a good actress, but like she's still so muted in that sequence. And it doesn't really, I think, accomplish what they're trying to do with her character there. And it, it underscores the problem, I think, of her this entire movie where um, I love Miss Marvel. I actually really like Monica Rambeau mm-hmm. um, quite a lot. I think Monica Rambeau like, could have been this like person with the weight of the world on the shoulders and holding a grudge. And she actually plays it very like casual and, and very like friendly. And I think that that was the right way to go. So I love both of them. But like Captain Marvel just feels so stoic and a non-character that you only get to see moments of her when she's bouncing off of especially Kamala Khan. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, she just feels like a, kind of a nothing burger as a character. <laughs> and, and I feel like that that, that dance um, music planet, uh, I think, really could have like been that moment to like show her, like make that mm-hmm. an actual like commentary on mm-hmm. that and how, especially like women leads in like big blockbuster things are always have to be like, like stoic. We have no character sort of people, but ultimately, I don't think it breaks her out enough for it to work as well. And I think a, it just underscores that problem. 
I almost wonder if like Disney kind of has that problem with some of their heroes in general mm. too. Like that that's the Ahsoka vibes as well. And like, Ray. Mm. Well. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. But Ahsoka was introduced as somebody who had a lot of energy in life as a young character, and by the time she becomes an adult, she is a stoic uh, stoic bore. No, basically. no emotion. Nothing at all. Well, that's it's a Jedi problem. It's a, it's a problem with yeah. women in in blockbusters. I think it's why Bar. I mean, I have a huge lot of criticisms with Barbie as a movie. I'm gonna mm-hmm. do. I'm actually writing a video on it now for my channel. But I think one of the reasons that Barbie felt so fresh to a lot of women is it's like the first time where like women were allowed to have personality that actually felt rooted in being a woman whereas a lot of like the and, and like rooted in the perspective of being a woman whereas you look at characters like Rey or even Captain Marvel or Ahsoka and they very much just feel like they have to be this kind of like bland nothing mm-hmm. characters because the a the writers are typically men who don't know how to like write from a woman's perspective a woman's experience um, and that's not to say men can't do that but it's often like they don't feel like they can take that risk because a they're like oh, we're gonna upset the aunt people who say women are ruining their MCU or whatever um, or or they just don't really know how to center that perspective I mean I look at something like we're gonna stay in the Star Wars realm like Andor look mm-hmm. at um, look at the way um, uh, uh, why am I blanking on her name Senator character uh, from Andor Mon Mothma Mon mm-hmm. Mothma look at how she's shown in Ahsoka versus Andor where Andor it's like she has so much personality so much going yeah. on that's rooted in her perspective yeah. as a as a woman in the sense that like she has to be a parent she also has to be a senator she has to deal with her husband like these these things are like something that only a woman character could show and yet she's felt like a full character and then you go to Ahsoka where she's just bland like bureaucratic background character mm-hmm. um, and it just feels mm-hmm. like such a waste of her and I bring that into Captain Marvel here where it's just like she's just given nothing but I think what the benefit of that at least in this film is then it allows like Monica and Miss Marvel to feel yeah. like full people yeah. and so I think having this movie be three women I think is what allows them to break out and sadly at the, the detriment of Captain Marvel yeah. mm-hmm. I also think it's just nice the musical planet stuff is just nice because we have heard many references throughout the years to stuff Captain Marvel is doing when she's not on Earth. Yeah, and this is yeah. one of the first times that we've actually gotten to see what that is. Like, this character's been having all kinds of wild adventures all over the place that we yeah. don't know. But yeah. Humanity's blipping out left and right, but she's a princess on a, on a singing planet. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. Better stuff um, to do. Like you said, better stuff to better do. Better stuff to do. I, so, I want to talk a little bit about the... Um, the this three-way entanglement yeah, i was literally so about good. to bring that up yeah, yeah. so they, they get quantum entangled at the beginning of the film which causes them to swap places when any one of them uses Change their powers places. too much <laughs> jeff uh i have thoughts but you please go ahead yeah i loved the conceit and i had so much fun the the, the fun rule is that it's when any two of them use their power at the same time yes right so even when we're in a shot with only one of our characters, we can assume that the other one is doing something awesome in that moment to cause <laughs> right. the switch, which yeah. is so much fun. And the, the way it ramps up at the beginning of them, uh, you know, uh, swapping at the most inopportune moments and that first action sequence in uh, Kamala Khan's house yeah. is so much fun. And we're splitting between that and up with uh, up in space with the, uh, uh, fury and uh all that all that stuff is a blast but then we get to this wonderful moment montage yeah the yes the training montage where they're like okay we're gonna maximize our potential here Mm -hmm. we're gonna train ourselves to blip on command and i thought oh here we go 
we're gonna have this incredible thing where they're just like doing that on command and they're a a a, 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 a symphony of destruction of uh, this perfectly timed perfectly choreographed you know akin to that wonderful shot that everyone remembers from guardians three down mm -hmm. the hallway where everybody's doing mm -hmm. stuff in this beautiful choreographed dance and I, I we never quite get there and it's such a disappointment because we have the training montage mm -hmm. we have the setup and then that final action sequence the switching is still very fun Yep. You know, as the oceans are being depleted and we're on, t you know, flying around and people are getting knocked off and then teleported back. All that stuff's great, but it didn't ever get to the point that I think it suggests it's getting to, which is that our heroes have mastered mm -hmm. this and are now going to use it in its most awesome possible way. And, and that to me felt like a missed opportunity because... I think the concept is great. You know, we've seen lots of switching type ideas with two characters, but doing it with three, I think really did up the ante for me and make yeah. it even more special. Uh, I just wish they had gone farther and really paid off mm -hmm. the concept. It would have been nice I to have one more sequence at least, but go, go ahead, Jesse. Oh, no, sorry. Mm -hmm. well, my only quick thing about that is I do wonder if that's a, and this is just supposition, but I, mm -hmm. I do wonder if it's a product of reshoots because mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. Act 3 feels very much like it was, there's a bunch of reshoots to sort of get what they wanted to do with it there mm -hmm. um, because that first sequence that you were talking about has such a confidence in its shooting style that is yeah. very Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's like, I was watching this, I'm like, this doesn't feel like a Marvel action sequence because most our Marvel action sequences are very close in shots, a lot of quick cutting to hide that they probably didn't choreograph it super well and just are going to just have it. In the, but that was like, it was all in like wide shots. We got to see very long takes. It's cross cutting between action on three different planes in a very fun way, all set to a needle drop that actually feels appropriate as opposed to I'm just a girl uh, from the first movie. <laughs> yeah. um, and so like, it, it was just, there was just this confidence in that action sequence that I'm like, I, I feel like that had to have been at some point in production been matched by a third act version of that mm -hmm. that paid mm -hmm. that off that I think probably in like somewhere along the line someone lost confidence on it or they needed to set up their X-Men stuff for the third for whatever movie so like mm -hmm. we got to rewrite this whole thing so set up like Monica getting lost in the other thing whatever it was it really feels like there was just a rushed third act uh, that where we lost what that setup was for because mm -hmm. it just you see that that confidence that the filmmaking has in the first half of the film just kind of go away towards yeah. the end. I, I would That's love true. to hear like the behind the scenes stuff here. I do want to shout out like this movie was directed by Nia DaCosta. We talked about her Candyman remake. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that movie very much, but I think she's a she's a good talent. So yes. like yeah, it's clear. cool to see her great, like doing this. Very talented great, director. Yeah. Great mm -hmm. action sequences. Just really, really confident. Even mm -hmm. though we heard she, you know, left the movie before it was done. <laughs> well, okay. So you know. that that was that that is true that she did, um, but she has since clarified what occurred uh, in an interview with, I believe, IGN, uh, where she explained that the movie got delayed many times. Like, production of the movie got delayed many times. It got pushed back multiple times. Yeah. Um, she thought it, would get, it was going to take 18 months. It took, like, a year longer than that. And mm -hmm. it was a point where um, she had to start working on the next movie or it might be lost. And everyone 
all of her producers knew that. That's kind of her version. Of yeah. Her. So yeah, that makes all, sense. It seems all very understandable. Yep. Um, and context that the Variety article did not provide, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I, I do. I do want to also, and and I don't want to talk it up to it's sexism because I feel like that's a, a oversimplification. But there is an, a part of me that's like, there's this extra scrutiny on this woman director where like this sort of stuff feels like it's somewhat part and parcel with yep. with uh, how a lot of like Marvel and big budget stuff sort of happens. And I think part of it, part of it's probably an over um, hyper hyper um focus on like a woman film woman director but also just the hyper focus on marvel generally right now so mm-hmm. i don't want to just talk mm-hmm. it up as it's just sex i mean it's it's also she is a black woman director mm-hmm. and that is a rare exactly. thing to see in hollywood exactly. and certainly the worst uh the worst layers of reddit and fandom will also like latch onto that in really yep. gross ways so exactly so I, I think it's a, a confluence of a bunch of yeah. different things but it feels like an over an over critique of something that is fairly common. Not, I mean, I'm not saying it's a good practice. It's a fairly bad practice mm-hmm. and speaks to problems with the big budget filmmaking generally. But I think to focus on it overly here, I think is, is, a, is, 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 uh, detriment just to, to be clear i was bringing it up sarcastically you yeah, are the yeah. word i i'm calling you out right now <laughs> you sexist monster <laughs> yeah. um i want to uh uh go back to this topic of uh the quantum entanglement switching i mm-hmm. think um a uh, couple things i want to just defend you know I, th- I thought that was everything you guys said strikes me as accurate and i agree there's no big build-up at the end and that's a little disappointing uh but first of all i think it's a brilliant move to make it so that whenever Carol Danvers uses her powers, she might kill someone like yep. one of her like friends. And, and, and that's, that's a really, it's like, Oh wow. Like that's a really good way to depower that character is like, yes. if she, she's, she can't use them because she might hurt the, one of her friends, basically. Especially um, a teenager. Yeah. yeah especially yeah. a teenager. You don't want to have that on your head. And so uh, I think that's, that's just like really clever of like, Oh, they, they need to like be careful about uh, how they control the powers. They obviously also give the villain, Captain Marvel absorbing bangle powers. <laughs> so like, you know, that's, that also helps. Uh, and then I do want to just point out that um, I wasn't even thinking Jeff, that there would be some big finale. I, I was like, when, when we saw that earlier action scene, I was like, I think this might be where the movie's going to peak. That's yeah. kind of like, that, I already had that in my head. I was like, I think this might be it. Yeah. I'm only saying because of the montage, the montage, the montage is very good. The montage to me didn't set up like, Oh, we're going to kick ass. It just set up like, Oh, this needs to be controlled so we're not like mm-hmm. completely disastrous. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel they mastered you know? it, but certainly they're a team. Like that's right. all it's solidified. Yeah, that's that's me. kind of yeah. what. But but the thing I was going to defend is there is a kind of very lovely, very brief moment at the end where, for reasons that I couldn't understand, <laughs> they they lose the ability to switch with each other, and then um, and then Carol Danvers kind of says like, "Well, I guess we can't switch with each other anymore." And and there's this kind of plaintive way in which she says it, like, "Oh, like there was something nice about." being entangled with these two people, yeah, even though it yeah. was really inconvenient for a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, ha- it has to be, it has to be taken away at the end or else she would just have switched into Monica Rambeau and she would right. be okay <laughs> out there. <laughs> she, she'd know what's going on in the alternate universe. But yeah. Um, but I, I thought that was a nice moment where like, you know, the, the, the movie acknowledged that there, this, this being entangled like gave them something, and that was yeah. like a nice moment. So, and there there was um, even the moment where they were like doing the the dream exploration, right, or their memory exploration, mm. where it ended up being a bad thing too. Of like that entanglement also brought up really difficult things. Um, mm. I f- it was weird how it kind of gave us some backstory and things, and I don't know. I just that was another. I think yeah. another thing that was brought up that could sustain a much longer yeah. exploration and just was kind of cast aside yeah uh, absolutely absolutely yeah so, you know on that note by the way going back to like 
Carol Danvers crimes. I'm just going to put this out there. <laughs> Monica Rambeau, the one defining characteristic of Monica she, Rambeau. She touches everything. She's, she's really good at forgiving uh, people committing atrocities. That's know? true. Uh, between between one Maximoff mind controlling like an entire town and Carol Danvers possibly murdering thousands, if not millions you know. of people. She's like, hey, hey, fam, like, don't worry about it. Like, we're still good. I'm just like, okay, like, the, the I, cost of being I, friends with white ladies. The line needs to be drawn somewhere ladies. when it comes to friendship, you know? Um, when it comes to family sometimes. And if, if my family committed war crimes, I would at least have like a, a long conversation about it um, before I forgave them. So, uh, okay, let's talk about the post credit scene. I will tell you that when the post credit scene occurred, somebody in the back of my press screening <laughs> screamed out, holy shit! Yes! Like, We're back, baby! We're been back, me, baby! Screamed! I, um, I definitely exclaimed. I, mm-hmm. I think my words were, what? <laughs> <laughs> so mm-hmm. in the post credit scene, uh, Monica Rambeau ha- has, has sealed up the rift in the universe, uh, which has then put her into an alternate universe. She awakens to find who she thinks is her mom sitting next to her. Her, her mom that was dead in the universe she came from is now alive in this new place. She thinks it's her mom. Her mom doesn't recognize her. Uh, Lashana Lynch, right, is the mm-hmm. actor, right? Um, and so clearly something is not happening correctly. And there's a very like emotional. She like starts crying legitimately yeah, yeah, in that the moment. Like, yeah. Wow, very she's realistic. really given it in this, uh, given it her all in the scene. And then she wakes she's like, up. Slow down. This is post credits. <laughs> <laughs> I had to work too hard for this. No, I mean, I'm, act here. I, I'm used to most post credits <laughs> being pretty terrible. So like, I'm like, wow, she's like actually putting some effort into this. Um, and uh, and then of course the reveal that somehow they saved her, and one of the people who has helped to save her is none other than Kelsey Grammer's version of Beast from, from X Three, everybody's from, favorite X Men movie, Brett Ratner film X Three. <laughs> the last stand. Exactly the pull every X Men fan would want. Yeah. You know? I think it's a very Screw cool you, scene. Nicholas I don't. <laughs> I don't necessarily think it means anything. Just like the Patrick Stewart thing in Doctor Strange. Yeah, I think yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, it, right. it very right. well could mean absolutely nothing. Well, there is a main character now in that universe. Yeah, that's so now thing. it's like mm-hmm. that's, that's the thing. Is like I don't think they're just going to jettison Monica Rambo. Who mm-hmm. knows though? Who knows? Anything could happen. I, but I, I, I suspect Marvel has no desire to bring back the entire cast of all the X Men movies we already know. I mean, Kelsey Grammer's right there. This is the year of the grammar. <laughs> Of Kelsey, uh, like Frasier is back. The Frasier reboot's happening. This is the year of Kelsey. Jesse, what was your reaction? Grammar yeah. Sans. I, uh, I, I <laughs> number one, it raises questions because, like, I thought the whole setup of Miss Marvel was that Kamala Khan was a he was mutant, a mutant. So yes. I thought that they were setting mm, that up, yes. kind of there in our universe. So this that that's a little bit like I'm wondering where they're going with that. Um, and I, uh, I get frustrated <laughs> with the Kelsey Grammer because there is that sort of nice, like, uh, nostalgia moment. It's like, oh, cool, it's Kelsey Grammer from the X Men thing that I like. But it, it kind of falls into the same camp as Patrick Stewart's cameo and mm-hmm. X in uh, Doctor Strange, where it's like, this is nice in the sense that, like, oh, cool, it's, it plays into our nostalgia. But here, if this is the direction that they're going with, I, I'm kind of frustrated because 
I am just tired of us just going back to that nostalgia. Well, like do something new. Like we're we're getting Wolverine back in Deadpool three, which again, Deadpool three. There's a somewhat of a setup and payoff to the constant jokes mm-hmm. there. Patrick Stewart appearing in Doctor Strange. You know, it's one off. It's a multiverse thing. Fine, but here it's just like it's the third time we're gonna be, or technically the yeah. second, but the third yeah. time we're seeing or hearing about it. Um, returning to that nostalgia. Well, and this feels like it's a bit more set up for something more long term. And I'm just like, I I'm here for recasting in fact i want that i want to see what the mcu's x-men are not let's return to the mm-hmm. well of what we've seen before and in it's speaking to uh, maybe i'm overreading it but it's speaking to that sense of a little bit of lack of confidence that marvel's having lately where they're just like we feel like they need to go to this nostalgia well because of their their missteps you know at mm-hmm. least in terms of like how well their stuff's been doing lately so they just like feel like oh we got to go to what worked before yeah, and yeah it's like no try something new and and so i was and also just kelsey Grammer's kind of a yeah, he, as a person, he's kind of like not my favorite to have <laughs> here. Not, anything, a great guy. So, not a yeah. great guy. I think this is just another multiverse thing. I really do mm-hmm. think this so. is more akin to, you know, Andrew Garfield in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I think this is just like mm-hmm. we have an opportunity to go to an alternate universe. Let's give the folks a fun alternate universe. I, I, I would be willing to bet a small amount of money that this is <laughs> that this is not actually how they set up the X-Men and mm-hmm. that. There's going to be a whatever we call the MCU's universe. Well, X-Men. there's going to be a Young Avengers or whatever else. The, the Kamala Khan say, stuff. That was that yeah. whole setup was fun too. Yeah. Yeah. Letting her that. do the Nick Fury thing. I, honestly, yeah. that Everybody had me more like excited. That had me more. Honestly, yes. that had me more excited than the X Men thing. I get yeah. why everyone's talking about the X Men, but the Young Avengers stuff. I'm like, I'm here. Like getting her mm-hmm. with Kate Bishop, Yelena as well. I'm sure they'll set up as well. Like I, I love those as much as I criticize the things those characters have shown up in. Mm-hmm. I like those characters a lot right. and those actors' yeah. energy a lot. Um, so I'm excited to see them get to bounce off of each other eventually. I agree. <laughs> Young Avengers feels fresh and fun. And I really loved how she literally is quoting the first post credits. <laughs> yeah. How would she know exactly what he said? She wouldn't, but it's, <laughs> how it's, would she for, know? it's for us. It's she, for us. She you know? had a conversation with Nick Fury yeah. when they <laughs> tell me your setup. Tell me yeah, your tell process. Me, tell me how it works. Like you sit in the chair and you're in the dark <laughs> and shadows, and then you turn, you so stand good. up, bring some snacks. You may be sitting there for a <laughs> yeah, while. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, love that. Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, so and then the character that Lashana Lynch plays is uh, called Binary. By the way, I think mm-hmm. is the yes. is the name of the superhero. Um, I love uh, and the that's costume. who she is in that in that universe, I guess. Yes. So I don't, was it the same? Like, is binary the same named character as as her mom? Like, I don't know. I don't know how that all works. Or is it just they they pick the same actress? Like, I don't know if there's some like cross world thing going on there. Um, I will say, I, I we got to think of like the Marvel fandom, right? How fans feel about Marvel as like a pulse. And the pulse is starting to flatline. So every one of these little bits of nostalgia is like, Kelsey Grammer's beast? Huh. Clear. How, how are people feeling? What's going on? You know? Well, Devendra, I don't know if you saw uh, the thing that's most ridiculous. You, you know, Jesse, you were, mm-hmm. you were saying how they're reaching back into the nostalgia train. Um, I don't know if you've seen the final trailer for the Marvels. Like, just Google yes. Mar- yeah. the Marvels final trailer. It is one of the most ridiculous trailers I've ever seen because basically it starts by showing scenes from Avengers Endgame. Like just straight up characters that are no longer in the MCU, like Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. And like, yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? You know, like, and then it's, and then it heavily implies that the villain in the Marvels is connected to Thanos in some way, which. (laughs) 
does not yeah. show up in the movie. I mean, at all, Thanos so I was aware of the Kree, sure. Yeah, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he he at least knows who they are. Yes. She she yes. is as she is as connected with Thanos as this movie is involved with engaging in the concept of war crimes. You know, like <laughs> that is the level of like connection there is. I mean, is, um, isn't that just reality though? Like we're we're right now looking around like what war crimes? What's happening? Mm. Let's not talk about it. I think that uh, it's. Uh, it, it, it reeks of desperation that trailer, and it's mm-hmm. it's rather unfortunate. Um, and it's a lifeline, on, man. Based yeah. off of the opening box office weekend numbers that we got, that we have as of right now, uh, it it really is looking kind of dire. I have to it say sucks. for for the yeah. MCU. So, um, anyway, all that said, any other thoughts about the ending, the resolution of this movie? Um, I, she, I do like that she they restarts work in, the sun. She does. She pulls she the Danny Boyle the sun. sunshine, you know, yeah. at the end of the film. So that's would, would have liked like an actual reference to that somehow, like visually or something like that. Would have been clutch. Yeah, um, I do like that Kamala Khan's family is is front and center here too. They yeah, are, yeah. they are like a good bunch of folks. They have good, um, like they have good chemistry and good like immigrant family chemistry too, which I always appreciate. I don't know about so their Jersey City house has been destroyed, yeah. and rather than. Um, Shield, you know, they, they can pay for that. They can fix that. Houses can be fixed. The tax breaks, though. In they send them the to Louisiana. Breaks. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, this house will be underwater in 20 years, but you can live here now. Just also, your entire like, life Louisiana, from Jersey City. Yeah, Louisiana, to Louisiana. Jersey, it's totally fine. Yeah. It'll totally I, be fine. Yeah. I will say this is, uh, watching the Marvels was one of the first time I've experienced this, where I watched a TV show where many, many scenes play out in this suburban home. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the movie and watched that home get completely annihilated. And I have to say, it made a little bit more of an impact on me um, <laughs> because I'd seen the... Uh, because, because Yeah, seen the, you were in that house. Yeah, I, yeah we mm-hmm. spent so much time in Kamala, Kamala Khan's house. Yeah. That's not a in, suburban house. That's like straight up... That's a okay. city house. But yeah, still. Fair, fair still. It is, you know that Jersey space, City, right? A Jersey City house. I, I it's literally in the name. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they so, shot a lot of that stuff in Atlanta. So those are right. also like weird houses around here sometimes. Um, yeah, and you, you spend so yeah. much time there in, in its like yeah. domesticity that it's actually shocking to see it it's like, over, it's like, overrun by like aliens and superheroes and stuff. What if know? a superhero like, fight happened in the Fresh Prince's house? And we know exactly yeah. the layout right, of that house exactly. already, right? It's like, I was like, mm. that's one thing this movie gave me that I wouldn't have otherwise. <laughs> <known, so. laughs> All right, <laughs> anyway. Give you cats I, devouring tons of people. Yeah, J- Jesse, go ahead. You have, you have something else to say. I'll just re- be real quick. One one thing too. It's weird how the bangles sort of get lost towards the end of this. It was, mm-hmm. I was like I was like there was at the end. I just saw like Miss Marvel wearing the one bang. I'm like, what happened to the other one? And then like uh, apparently Captain Marvel's wearing the other one. I'm like, I don't what what happened there. That felt weird. That that's such a big MacGuffin just. I thought she was wearing both. I thought Miss Marvel no, was wearing the, both. No, at the end, end when they're in the plane, huh. Kamala Khan's wearing one and mm-hmm. uh, Carol is wearing the mm-hmm. other one. I'm like, I, okay. I don't understand what, what where that was going with that. It was just, it felt like yeah, a thing well, lost in the What happened to the Bengals after the universe was sealed up? Yeah. Basically. We like, probably don't want to have them all on like a single teenage girl yeah. who's just learning how to be a superhero, <laughs> no, right? Makes, so yeah. It makes yeah. sense to me. It was just sort of like, it was just weird. There was no addressing of it. Yeah. Because we need Quasar. We need to get Quasar up in here. Oh. Um, the other thing too that quick mention because we haven't discussed it, but I, I actually really liked it. But again, makes no sense with Secret Invasion. Um, is Valkyrie's quick appearance in the movie, um, which I actually really liked, and I liked it's connecting to the scroll as refugees. Again, makes no sense given the end of Secret Invasion, but that is very much for the best considering how the scrolls are vilified by the U.S. president there in a we, we messed up Trump allegory. Regardless, <laughs> setting that aside. 
I did like her appearance, and uh, I, I actually surprisingly loved Carol and Valkyrie's chemistry and the like um, few moments they had there. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? As someone who as someone who does very much ship characters, I'm like, I am here for Carol and Valkyrie uh, sort of <laughs> together. Like, I am I am 100 down for that. They so. can understand each other cosmically, exactly, yeah, like, yeah. and and they can understand each other. Yeah, in more so ways many other than ways. That. Again, my fan my fan fiction mind is a buzzing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just want to mention that because I actually did really like that moment as brief as it was can, can we just do a little brief like a very brief secret invasion corner um, <laughs> please just tell like, me, tell just me like what happened just like two minutes invasion. just two minutes yeah. okay uh, like why secret invasion makes no sense now in light mm-hmm. of this film? okay so like one of the whole things about secret invasion is that there's a bunch of scrolls that are still trying to find a home right led by ben mendelson's character from the original captain marvel uh, and it's like, yeah, humans cannot like possibly coexist with aliens on planet Earth. That's not, never going to happen. Well, as this movie points out, it is happening. It is happening with um, Valkyrie and what New Asgard is it right? Like, yeah, they, they they've created a little colony there for themselves, and it's like, why can't the scrolls live with them? A question that's never answered in Secret Invasion, and uh, according to this movie, they could have done that the whole time. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, Secret, that makes no this, sense. This is yeah. this is this is a rant that's for another day. But it's like there's so much opportunity in that that metaphor of like, oh look, Valk, like the the um, the Asgardians look more like humans, so maybe they're more accepted and more yeah, like talking yeah. about the oh. racial divide of the scrolls. That could have been such interesting. an interesting idea. But no, it's just like let's just play anti-Semitic conspiracy theories straight, and then have literally the president of the United States go. There are aliens living among us. You should go and shoot them in a very clear allegory to January 6th and mm-hmm. have him be proven correct. And there's literally murdering people and vilifying refugees and then just have Samuel L. Jackson go, ah, oh, that's a one president kind of thing and just screw off. One, to, a, one term, a one term kind of, the, the, at yeah. the end of Secret yeah. Invasion, so spoilers uh. for Secret Invasion, the president of uh, the United States like is like, hey, I declare I'm hunting scrolls. If you're uh. a scroll, we're going to kill you. And like that's... He's, and then Samuel Jackson's like, "Well, my work here is done," and he like f's off back into space with his wife, who does not appear in this movie, <laughs> which is also really weird. <laughs> well, that, this is what I'll say so, to its credit, and then we'll, we can wrap this up. But, but like to its credit, the end of Secret Invasion basically left all options open. Like Samuel L. Jackson goes back to space, and his wife is like, he, "He's like, hey, wife, come with me," and she's like. Okay, I'm gonna go with you, but I have so much work back to do here on Earth. He has a I wife can't now? stay with you. Oh yeah, so, like five episodes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> when did that happen? He's had a wife the whole time. That's another okay. thing. Yeah. So, okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's it's terrible. The show is terrible. It makes less sense now after you watch the movie. Mm-hmm. It's so weird how they had two shows that were like pretty integral to this yeah. movie, and then one show. And by the way, the other reason it's worse is because. Samuel L. Jackson is a completely different character in yep. this movie than he is mm-hmm. in Secret. In Secret Invasion, he's very like tortured and dour, and in this movie, he's basically like a hundred percent comic relief. So, okay, sorry guys. No, my, that's fine. My Secret Invasion anger has been released, and <laughs> you know, uh, it is out in the world now. So, thank you for humoring me. Okay, uh, stop running. Let the cats eat you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, I'll speak of Samuel Jackson. The one line where he has where like, oh, it's Carol. When like Carol like flips yeah, yeah. over from them it's as they're falling. Funny. I'm like, that line just, that line mm-hmm, also did mm-hmm. really get me. <laughs> good tone. Like good tone throughout. Was that the line, yeah. by the way, Jeff? Was the stop, let the yeah. cats eat you? That was yeah. the line. Yeah, yeah. And that whole sequence is good guys being like chased like a horror movie. Too. It's like, so perfect funny. tone for that. Yeah. The show so where it cuts funny. over. There's just the two cats sitting there menacingly. <laughs> I died. It was wonderful. Yeah. 
It also made me wonder how they accomplished it. My guess is yeah, it was hundred. Uh, my guess is it was a hundred percent CGI cats because I think it was yeah. um, CGI They cats. generally don't have cats. Like, there's a reason why everyone has dogs in movies and TV shows, mm-hmm. and not cats. It's because mm-hmm. they're I, impossible to control. I have a quick anecdote. As I was leaving the the theater, uh, having stayed to the the tippity top end as one does with Marvel movies, yeah. uh, I turned to uh, the person I was seeing the movie with, and I said, "Interesting that it it, it did not say." Captain Marvel will return, which, mm-hmm. you know, most of these movies have somebody yeah. will return and there yeah. was no will return at the end of this one. Um, and then the, the, this person who overheard me, who I didn't know said, it also didn't say no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. <laughs> and I chuckled and I went, I think no animals were involved. in the making <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> very likely, very likely. All right. Uh, well, Jesse Earl, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on to talk about the Marvels with us today. Before pleasure we to be close out here today, you want to let people know where they can find more of your work on the internet this week. Yeah, they can find me uh, on, if you look up Jesse Gender on YouTube, uh, that's sort of my main video essay sort of stuff. I talk about, if you like this discussion, I talk about science fiction movies and sort of try and give it a sort of discussion through political themes, queer themes, things like that. I have a video on Bethesda Starfield, if you played that game coming up really soon, talking about it through the lens of like Ursula K. Le Guin, who's one of my favorite writers. Um, I'm going to be doing a video on Barbie very soon because I know I missed the boat on that, but uh, I was working on my own film. Um, speaking of which, I also have a uh, movie coming out called Identities, which is going to be released early next year on the streaming service Nebula, and it stars the wonderful John Delancey from uh, many people know as Q from nice. the Next Generation, and then Abigail Thorne um, from Philosophy, along with many other wonderful folks. Uh, so subscribe to Nebula to see that film when it comes out early next year. Um, yeah, and then I also have uh, another podcast called uh, The Jumpgate Podcast, which is a Babylon 5 rewatch podcast. Um, so check me out there. Yeah, definitely check out Jesse's other work. Uh, I've been a huge fan for a long time, and it's great to have her here on the, the film name course. of the place, <laughs> Babylon, Babylon Five. five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, it's it's an honor to be here, and and I always enjoy uh, enjoy hanging out with you. So, uh, well, at the end of the day, it is really impressive that Nia DaCosta made a movie. And that's going to bring us into this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slash filmcast. At, uh, I'm sorry, at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com and uh, support us on Patreon. Sign up for ad free episodes and exclusive after darks at patreon.com slash film podcast. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross, who also edited this episode. Next week on the podcast, it's going to be a new David Fincher joint. The Killer, which is streaming right now on Netflix. Uh, I had a chance to see it in theaters. Great experience. Uh, but I'm happy that anyone's watching David Fincher movies these days. Should be <laughs> a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.